Hello, and welcome back to the True Crime Guys podcast. I'm Lauren. And I'm Michael. Back in the shack. Back in the shack again. Back in my shack. Yeah. It's warmer today, though. Yeah. It's definitely warmer. It's warming up on the mountain. We don't have to run the jet engine to keep warm today. You still saw some elk, though, on the way in, huh? I did. Saw a bunch of elk? Yeah, I saw like eight. Hell yeah. The antlers are falling off. It's time to start start go looking for them. They were, yeah. Yeah. Like most of them, most of the bucks had like just one. Yeah. Is that what you call them? A, no, 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 no. What do you call uh, them? Bull. A bull. Bull elk. They're bulls and cows. Yep. Got you. Yep. Delicious. All right. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you need to bring me some. Man, you once you've hunting? had, I mean, sorry to all the vegans out there, but if you've had elk meat, once you see, like, once you've tasted it, you just see them now, and you're just like, they're like steaks with legs. I'm just like, God, that looks delicious. Look at that thing looking at me. I know. <laughs> uh, Chris, when I sent, I sent, uh, I sent my wife a Snapchat of the elk too. Yeah. And she sent me back. She said, she said, nice. Bring one home. We'll put it in the fridge. I mean, the yard. <laughs> That's my kind of girl. <laughs> Yeah, man. Oh man! Those yeah, hilarious. they're funny creatures too. I think I don't. I don't know how. Like I know certain p- times of the year they they split off. Like after they get done mating, mating seasons like in October. Okay. They call it the rut. Yeah. And they go crazy. All the, the bulls go fight each other and shit, and they all fighting for the girls' attention, the cows. They, but then they all meet up later, right? <clears throat> yeah, but then like they split off after mating season, and they try to bulk up for winter because they're all just emaciated from mating <laughs> season. And they're like, "Hey, bro, sorry about that last yeah, month. You know when I was." <laughs> When I took your eye out, you when know. I was out there slinging horn, bro. Right. Yeah, I'm sorry about that, dude. You know, you get crazy when you get horny. That's right. You know how it is, man. Sometimes you catch an antler in the eye. Yeah, that's how things go. <laughs> it's like, got to be an awkward like, time that when they, they come back together, <laughs> they all have to go lick their wounds together. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's been a rough season, mate. Right. I don't know why the elk are Australian. <laughs> <laughs> I can see that. All right. Well, we got a new freebie this yeah, week. Yeah, man. Um, yeah, it's a good it's a good one. We had a, this actually, a good one. actually uh, a case suggestion, which we haven't done in a while. We keep telling people, you know, send us suggestions. Well, and all that's this. that's not entirely true. We've been doing some that have been suggested. It's just they got suggested so long ago, and by so many people that we don't really we don't mention. really know who to give credit to for a suggestion. Right. This is the opposite. This person suggested this on Monday, and we're like, we don't have a case yet. You know what? Let's do, do it. it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll do it. Let's. That you saved good. us. <laughs> So I want to thank Tracy, uh, Tracy S., for the suggestion. She actually messaged us on Instagram with this one, and we looked into it. We found a really good book called In Broad Daylight uh, by Harry N. McLean. Very good book. Very good book. Incredibly detailed. Yes. Sometimes to a fault, but I think a good book. Yeah, in audible form, it was, what, 13 hours or something? I think it was like 14. Yeah, it was a, it was a long ride. It was, it was a marathon, that's yeah. for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Barely got it done in a week yeah. at work, so yeah. <laughs> I was training this week. I was training an intern at work, so I had to kind of like do it on the way home from work. Yeah, I had, to, I had to listen to every bit of time I had outside of work. I had to listen to it. Funny story about yeah. the intern, though. Had this intern all week long. This is great. Right? Riding with me for five, six hours a day. And on the last day of training, uh, this is yesterday, I'm bringing him, bringing him back to our, our work to let him go home. And he starts telling me, like, uh, it sucks working two jobs. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, you got another job? What's your other job? And it turns out he works for a funeral parlor, a funeral home, Davis Funeral Home. And he, and I'm like, dude, what the fuck, man? Like, <laughs> all week, all week you've all had. All week you have known this. To tell me this. So we could have talked about this shit. Here I am thinking you're, like, kind of a boring dude. And now I find out you're, like, super interesting. You've seen a million <laughs> bodies. Apparently he's seen, like, thousands of bodies and, like, transported him he's seen all kinds of stuff man i was like i have wow. so many questions and now you have to go and i'll probably never see you again 
Oh, he's not. He's not going to. I'm be not working. training him next week. He's got oh. on a different shift. Damn. Sucks. Well, yeah, that's. Oh, that does suck. Right? <laughs> Just drop that bombshell with you. Right. I didn't well, want to let him go. I'm like, no, stay. <laughs> no, stay. Got so many questions. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, oh, so yeah, like I got this the reading of this book in when I could, um, and it was easy though. You know, yeah. like I actually enjoyed listening to it, so it wasn't like work. Right. Great case. Super interesting story. Uh, one guy terrorizing an entire town, man. This guy up there with the scummiest people we've done. It's unreal the control he had over this town. Oh, God. I mean, a small town. Don't get me wrong. One of the smallest yeah, towns still, we've, ever, we've ever covered in still this. Still, though, it's like, what, but 600 people? It wasn't people? even just, wasn't even just that celebrity. town. I think it was like 437 people or something like that in this town specifically. But he was terrorizing the whole county. Like There was a bunch of small towns he would jump from each one mm-hmm. and terrorize. Um, but really had a grip on Skidmore. Oh, yeah. Um, but, yeah, man, I'm, I'm excited to get into this one. We want to just jump into it? Yeah, let's do it, man. All right. I think the Ken simply wanted to be big and important and to have people afraid of him when he walked down the street. And he got that. They were. talk about it still. I think it's something that's going to define this town forever. Town business owner and resident, Skidmore, Missouri. So our case this week was a guy named Ken Rex McElroy. Yeah, or McElroy if you're from Missouri. Oh, yeah, M- McElroy, duh. I listened to McElroy. 13 hours of McElroy, yeah. and we, then well, I we say we talked McElroy. about this. His name is freaking hard to remember. It is. Because it's so basic. It's so like, basic. what's your name? Ken Rex McElroy. Right. It's like, say what? You could have said anything. If we if the book would have said Rex a lot more, I think it would have been easier to remember. Yeah. Less it stands common. out a little more. Yeah, but yeah, I, I yeah, the whole week I had trouble after listening to his name be said a billion times in that book. I still could like kept blanking <laughs> on what's his name again. <laughs> I understand. I was doing the same thing. Hard guy to forget though, as far as personality wise. Oh, oh, absolutely. Jesus Christ, what a scumbag! 
almost uh, his personality was almost Gacy esque. You know who his personality reminds me of? I think this is the closest to the Mockingbird Hill Massacre guy. Oh. The control, you know, the love to have control over his own yes. family and just over the town and anybody, anybody in his path, oh, he would love. I to I got have you another over. one though. I got you a better um, comparison. Okay. What about the uh, guy from the Cinnamon? Do you love me, Cinnamon? Oh yes, that dude. Yeah, he's almost identical. Right, to that love guy. for for young girls as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was born on June first, nineteen thirty four. He was the fifteenth of sixteen children, born to a poor migrant tenant tenant farming couple named Tony and Mabel McElroy. Uh, they had moved between Kansas and the Ozarks before settling outside of Skidmore, which is in Missouri. It's a very small town, Skidmore. Right. Um, there's like what, like three businesses, like population fluctuate i think so yeah i looked it up on uh i went google street view which is kind of i like to do with a lot of cases oh, especially in small towns just yes. kind of get a feel for it i love doing that yeah i don't even know like as far as google street view it looked like those businesses weren't even really open anymore it was like a lot of dilapidated like boarded up windows and really? i doubt we have any listeners in skidmore so if we do i'm sorry for making your sound town or your town sound pretty crappy but right. pretty sure you're just farming right now and you're not so much pot and listen to pot. Maybe you are listening to podcasts and you're like using your big freaking corn machine, whatever those things are. Yeah. Is that what, is that what <laughs> those you... things look freaking cool. Like those things look very fancy. The, the farmers, you know, say what you want about them, but man, they, they, they got some farming equipment that looks like it's a spaceship. When you, Dude, when you go inside, it's a million buttons and like the thing looks complicated. Those as things shit. are like a million dollars too. Right? God Stupid almighty. expensive. No wonder farmers are always broke. Dude, it says the total population is 284. 284. So it, it's actually gone down quite a bit. It has. Because back in the 80s, around like the time of this case, the 70s and 80s, it was fluctuating between 400 and 600. Wow. But I think there was more to offer back then. Farming is, it's different now. You know what I mean? It used to be like a family-owned thing. Now it seems like farming's gone so corporate. Yeah, and there's subsidies for certain types of stuff that you farm and all that. And so basically, seems like seems like there's like less farmers, but the ones that are operating are like super. Yeah, a lot of them are su- super successful if they do. And their, they're probably dealing locally. That's why they only now they're down to a group of people that can keep these fa- probably local farms alive. Yeah, probably a lot. That's probably where they make a lot of their money. Is locally. seems like you had to you had to kind of do farm the shit that the government wanted you to farm if you wanted to be successful. Like they basically yeah. they'll give you breaks if you farm corn and soy and shit that's not healthy for us. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's interesting. They, they're pumping that out and stuff. They stuff corn into everything you buy now. Sugar and corn is in everything you buy. If oh, you look God, at the back yeah. of a box of something you're buying. Yeah. So in 1900, <clears throat> the population was 560 and it's just plummeted every year since then. You go all the way up to like 1990 it's 404. Yeah. When this took place in uh, 1980, there was 437 people. Right. Well, so that's what that's what the time period we're talking about. Yeah. Well, back then it's it's according think, to the uh, census. Nowadays, with like Amazon and all this stuff, it seemed like some of the stuff they had to offer that kept that town going isn't even really needed anymore. You know, like they had they had a, like small towns out there, and then this place had you know like a little grocery store and it had right. some stuff to offer to locals, but like. Now it's like you can just order anything online or yeah, I don't know, I don't know the reason for its decline. It just seemed like it was a, an old school town that nowadays, see, nowadays just doesn't really make sense. I just wanted to see where it's located in relation to like the bigger cities, you know, like St. Louis. Kansas, it's probably closer to Kansas City. Let's see. 
zoom out. I know here. the book mentioned it, but man, the book had so much information it was hard to retain a lot of it. Yeah. You know? The book gotcha. definitely went into detail about that town a lot. So great book. Um his family, they lived in someone else's house and worked someone else's land and living near poverty level. The struggle and bitterness of those years stayed with Ken for the rest of his life. He always felt um, inferior to to others, and he was made fun of a lot when he was younger because he had a poor family. Um, and, it, yeah, he lived in someone else's house. He never really had, like, his own home, place to call home. Right. His family lived with farmers, and he was basically, like, they, they got paid next to nothing, like a dollar. I think it was, like, a dollar, what was it, a dollar a day or a dollar a week? I think it was a dollar a day. To do really hard labor for these farmers you know the right. farmers were benefiting from them and they weren't really getting much in return exactly <clears throat> in the mid-40s the family bought a 175 acre farm and farmhouse the house was always packed with people and at one point there were 18 people living in the two-bedroom house ken's father tony managed his children by yelling ken was ken yelled a lot both for not doing things and for doing things wrong ken's brother timmy was the baby of the family who and was spared from the treatment so nice so I guess Ken would have been the baby, but they had one more, that 16th kid. Yeah. <laughs> that ruined it? Right. <laughs> ruined it. That's what you're blaming it on? That's the nature? <laughs> yeah, argument. but it, it, well, from the book, the book's perspective, it sounded like uh, his younger brother always uh, really kind of, he was he was the baby by, not only just because he was the youngest, but he really took on that persona of the baby of the family and he yeah. really kind of kissed his parents' ass and helped them do anything and Ken never gave a fuck. Mm, well, I mean, Ken, if you didn't give a fuck. But yeah. I understand that. Exactly. It's, that. it's that middle child syndrome, though. It's like it's like a catch-22. It's like the yeah. parents maybe are a little softer on the last child because yeah. they know it's their last child. Yeah, you know and I mean? so the, the, the youngest child is more eager to please because he's already getting that attention. He wants to yeah. keep it. Yep. Doesn't want to lose that. Right. Ken never did any chores, and by his teenage years, his father preferred to ignore his existence. Ken could do whatever he pleased, and he spent a lot of his time wandering around people's farms hunting mm-hmm. got really into running dogs right? yeah he got really into hunting dogs hunting coons and stuff like that yeah he dropped out of school at age 15 and in the eighth grade he quickly established a local reputation as a raccoon hunter cattle rustler and small-time thief and womanizer dead did really well with women yeah he did yeah i guess he had that bad boy asshole vibe down that works for some women yeah he was the bad boy of the town girls. for sure yeah, and he wasn't a bad looking dude. No, no, he had you know in his uh, younger days before before he, he put on the weight. Yeah, because he was he was probably a pretty muscular dude. He was if he didn't he have the weight thick. because he's yeah he was always he was, thick. He's stocky. Even when he put on weight and he was considered overweight, he yeah. was still just like not like a soft fat dude. It was like thick, like huge wrists, like a like bear. They couldn't even put handcuffs on him later on when he started getting into you know, yeah. They actually had to arrested. get bigger handcuffs. For yeah, him, right. Yeah, and they said he was barrel chested. His arms were as big as a lot of people's legs. Yeah. Just a big, scary dude. A lot of basically from the time he was a kid, he got this reputation as a dude you'd never mess with. Yeah. Um, to his friends, he was Ken, pronounced Kin, and everyone else, he was McElroy. As an adult, he was 5'10 and 230 pounds. He was grossly overweight. Even though he had a huge gut, he was a solid man with a massive upper body. His size made him intimidating to most people, not only his size, but his just his personality. He his, was he had that vibe yeah. like if you if you come up and poke me, I'm gonna punch you in the like you know what I mean like whatever you do to me, I'm gonna do it back Ten tenfold. Times. Yeah, yeah. He did have that, and he had those. A lot of that people commented about attitude. his eyes too. Yeah, they commented how they they were blue early on, right, and like pretty, but then like when he it seemed like they would change if yeah. you pissed him off, they would turn black. He said he almost had like a dead look in his eye that he would get occasionally. Yeah, 
His hair was naturally dark brown, but he dyed it pure black for years. He was always wore his hair oiled and slicked back in the style that was popular in the 50s. By seventh grade, Ken and his best friend John were both well on their way to becoming delinquents. When they weren't hanging out, they were riding around doing, uh, going to other girls' houses. Ken eventually acquired a 1936 Ford, and while it gave the boys a vehicle, they also now needed money for parts and repairs. Because the boys didn't go to work or school, there was really only one way to get by, and that was stealing. That's right. Thievery. That's be stealing. Which is something he did Thieving. all the way through his life, man. He was, yep. the, he was the county thief, man. He would steal from people's farms. He would and watch their properties. hogs, man. He dealt hogs. Yep. He dealt hogs But, for real. I mean, at times, cattle as well. He mm-hmm. would steal whatever was valuable, and he would go into farmhouses when they were when farmers were away. He would watch them, learn their schedule, know when they yeah. were away. He'd even find their well, key to their house and use their own key to get in if they had it hidden somewhere on the property. Right. But, see, here's the thing. It was like the reason nobody saw him or nobody cared is because he would, he would spy and watch these farmers and their routines while he was hunting because it was customary to let people hunt on your land. Everybody did it. Everybody was like, yeah, you can hunt on my land if I can hunt on yours. And it was just open. If you saw somebody with a gun, an orange hat, whatever, you wave at them and go on about your However, business. there were some farmers that didn't really abide by that. And they, yeah. if they did happen to approach McElroy, though, he would basically have the gun in his hands and say, I do what I want. And they would be yeah. like, all right, then, and back <laughs> off. Which Pretty is much. a common theme in this story where he would, he would give them that black-eyed look. And say, I do what the fuck I want. Yep. And he'd have a shotgun in his hand most of the time or yeah. some sort of a weapon, a rifle. Almost always had a gun. Then yep. again, almost everyone in this county had a gun in their truck. It was customary for everyone to have right. guns in the back in the back windshield of their pickup truck. And, you know, that was that was just kind of the way it was. Right. Um, McElroy had a dark complexion, largely because his maternal grandmother was a full-blooded Cherokee Indian. His wide forehead and intense eyes added to the look, although his eyes were a bright dark blue. In his younger days, he had been considered handsome, but as he aged, the extra weight turned him into something of a massive ogre. Yeah, something like that. Right. That's that's he carried his Shrek, weight all Shrekish, over. Shrekish, yeah. right? And he's, that's why some people wouldn't necessarily call him fat because he's just one of those guys that, like, when he bulked, when he added it weight, it wasn't of just any kind, the gut, right? It, it was, was like just everything. everything. Yeah. yeah, like his legs got bigger, his yeah. arms got bigger. Some people, it goes just straight to the gut or the butt. Yeah, his kind of went everywhere. Ogre. That's a great description, Sarah. It's like you're blowing him along, like a. Uh, uh, a balloon animal, and you're just blowing air, and the whole thing gets bigger altogether. Yeah. Great description, right? That is a great description. <laughs> <laughs> Nailed it. Uh, McElroy took pride in his appearance and always wore clean clothes that looked almost new. He wore his shirt slightly loose to conceal the 38 caliber he carried in a holster that sat underneath his left arm. He rarely wore a coat, even in the winter, and never wore a hat. He wa- uh, When he wasn't angry, McElroy was often very, spoke- uh, very soft-spoken and could sit in a bar relatively unnoticed. Although there was usually, you know, he's sitting there. It and didn't he's take pl- much. He's sitting there and he's plotting. It, he, it seemed like he needed an enemy at all times. You don't think I he could think just he get just... by on a normal day. That's like what fed him. Like, that's what motivated him was like, this motherfucker. Yeah. I'm going to get him back. Like, it's, it, it was one he person to the it. next. There was, it, throughout the book, throughout his life, there was never not an enemy in his tar- in his sights. You know what I mean? Like, and it it usually wasn't the same person all the way through. It was like, he would get pissed at one person for some little slight that they did. Yeah. And then he would have to get back at them, and he would get back at them, start stalking them you or whatever, what and, he was, it and he would move on to the next person. I think it is. I think it's the excitement. I think for people that that are addicted to that and putting themselves in that situation of violence, they're addicted to that excitement, that rush, that adrenaline. They like that We conflict, talked about it a lot in the Aaron Hernandez that, episode. Yeah, that being suspicious, it, that putting you on edge, it makes you feel alive because you never know what could happen. Yep. 
You know what I mean? And at the same time, you're generating more fear. Mm-hmm. And that makes you feel even more powerful. And I think it becomes like a vortex for these guys. Like they're not people like this, like they're not serial killers, but they get their fix another way. And I think it I think it is. It's it's this this adrenaline rush. And he had a huge for. a huge chip on his shoulder that never left from being feeling inadequate compared and he's now an adult and he's to get by, he's he in his eyes, he's forced to steal because he had a poor family, and he's, he, yeah, he didn't he come feel up. And like he feels victim. like the other d- people his age in that town that he grew up with had, you know, they had better circumstances. Their family were successful farmers, and mm-hmm. he didn't come from those means. And fuck everybody else. Yeah, he really. I'm gonna make them pay. Type of mentality. Yeah, he really held a grudge against the farmers for sure, and that's why he didn't feel any any type of remorse for stealing from them. No, because he oh, felt no, like he they took it. everything from him. It and was his family. It was multi-purpose for him. He was not only getting money which he needed but also he was getting back at them too so it was like he loved every every bit of it stealing yep yep skidmore is a small town in the heart of missouri farm country uh in the 80s the town population hovered around 400 people although according to the 2010 uh, census there were only 284 residents as we talked about by the way it looks to be uh it's north of kansas city and if i had to guess just looking at this map i'd say it's somewhere between 45 minutes and an hour north of kansas city dude so if we do our tour to kansas city we might be able to go drive through skidmore we would have to if we went that far yeah and if we're in the creek van touring from city to city we might as well just (laughs) roll through there on our way to another town that's right that's right Those 284 were made up of 122 households and only 81 families. In other words, it was still, uh, it still is a very small town. Mainstream culture and commerce passed Skidmore by. This is kind of like the conversation we were having, like what yeah. happened What happened to this small town. Yeah. In the 80s, the town did not have a laundromat, video store, or ice cream shop, all which were small town staples of the era. Yeah, no Blockbuster, man. What? God. Do you know there's one Blockbuster left? I wanna, Where is I it? I want to go to it. I want to say it was in Oregon or something. I think it's up in the Pacific Northwest. Wow, it's probably important. Either Oregon or Washington. It's, it's become Seattle cool now. Oregon. Now that it died, it's, it's, it's got to be cool. a hipster city, yeah, right? Yeah, it's, it's probably in Portland. <laughs> Dude's on unicycles riding <laughs> yeah, around picking out ri- DVDs. <laughs> <laughs> just riding it right through the beads to the porn section. <laughs> I, have a, I have a unicycle that I ride quite often, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Call me a hipster if you yeah. want. It's fun. <laughs> they also didn't have any black or Hispanic people at the time, although it's likely they still don't. The town has two paved streets and zero stoplights. So there's there's literally almost no traffic. It's perfectly safe to treat the stop sign as a mere suggestion to slow down. <laughs> That's what I do in my town, <laughs> right? But don't, but Lauren can't do it though. I, I did that uh, in Sandy Valley, leaving Mike's the first time we recorded out there and got a fucking <laughs> ticket. Rolled through a stop sign, got dude, a ticket. You got to watch those F two fifty cops, bro. They hide up in was. the desert. That's what it was. Those I, dudes can hide up in there. I looked left, rolled through the stop sign, and as soon as I looked back right where I was going, he was staring right at me. Yeah. Like, if you're coming the fifteen from California to Vegas, yeah, watch out around that Gene exit. Those F two fifty cops do not mess around. Yeah. Metro. <laughs> yep. Uh, in the eighties, the overwhelming vehicle of choice was a pickup truck, and only radio stations that made it into the era played country music. Besides the few bankers, cashiers, and shopkeepers, it was a completely blue-collar town. The hierarchy was largely determined by how successful someone was at farming. The man who owns the biggest and most successful farm was at the top of the heap. Makes sense. Yeah. Which something that ate away at, at McElroy all those years. Right. Let's talk about his first wife, because he had several. In 1952, when he was 18, Ken married 16-year-old Oletta. Soon after they were married, the couple moved to Denver, where one of Ken's sisters lived. Her, uh, her husband got Ken a job working construction, and this is where a big event happens that may have shaped his uh, personality. You know, we've talked about head trauma a lot of times in this. Yep. 
Uh, they stayed in Denver for six months, eventually moving to the mountains. One day at the job, building material fell from about 30 feet and hit Ken in his head. His safety helmet split open, and Ken got a cut on the head. Damn. Obviously suffered a, a, what must have been a pretty bad concussion if it went, broke through his uh, safety helmet and fell from something. Fell from, I think it was like a steel beam or something fell 30 feet. Probably 30 feet? Probably would have killed him if he didn't have the helmet on, but for sure still wow. did some severe damage. Hell yeah. Did he get paid from this? You had to think he must have gotten a payout, right? I think so. I bet this is kind of what started his little empire because he always had Dude, money. He always had money, right? Always had money. I mean, there was one point in the story where he shows up to the car dealership and buys the best, fanciest new pickup truck they had. You the had Chevy cash. Silverado with all the upgrades and everything. Yeah. just lays the cash on the table. And he didn't have quite enough. It was like 10000 He showed up with the rest. He didn't have enough on him. Right. He showed up he the next like, day with the rest. like, I'll get the rest tomorrow. I'll steal something tonight. Yeah. <laughs> The accident jammed nerves and muscles in his neck, which caused his periodic episodes of severe pain and occasional blackouts for the rest of his life. The job ended up being Ken's last attempt at a legitimate gainful employment, and in 1956, so he's like, see, this is what happens like, when you work a normal happens. job. <laughs> I'm trying to be good, and you drop stuff on my head. <laughs> you turn into Seinfeld all of a sudden. What's with these steel What's beams? What's with these beams? <laughs> <laughs> They're falling from the sky. <laughs> His comedy, man. If you go, if you go listen to it now, it's just like so different than it is. Yeah. I still like it though. I do too. I still I, appreciate I it. There's something yeah. just, there's just something wholesome about Jerry Seinfeld's comedy. Right. Yeah. Even like you can watch it with your whole family and all. Yeah. Get a good laugh. Mm-hmm. And then there's the Bill Burrs and the <laughs> Patrice O'Neills of the world. <laughs> Absolutely, gotta have them. Yep. The job ended up being Ken's last attempt. Like we said, at a regular job, he fell back to using theft and money. Uh, theft to get money and started it off small, stealing one hog or calf at a time. Even though he was barely getting by, the legend of Ken McEl- uh, McElroy was starting to spread in the counties of the northwest Missouri. Even though he was still married to Oletta, he sought out the company of teenage girls. He preferred girls the age of 13 to 14, referring to them as, quote-unquote, young meat. Disgusting. Gross. Gross. Yeah, this guy is um, scumbag in many ways. But oh, that, yeah. That's one of the we will find out. Yeah. In a bar while hanging out with two 17-year-olds who Ken considered uh, too old to be romantically involved with, he was confronted by the grandfather of Donna, a 13-year-old girl Ken was seeing. Ken didn't respond to the man, just stopped talking and stared at him. After about four or five minutes, Ken and the two girls left the bar. Once they were outside, Ken told them that they were going to be going to the man's farm and burn it down. They went to the farmhouse planning on arson, but once they got there, they took a break to make sandwiches and eventually <laughs> decided to come back another time. You know what? They listen, had to have smoked weed. Dude, listen. You, <laughs> you know, know what? what? Let's sit down. Let's 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 have a sandwich. Let's and really let's, think this let's over. Really think about this. Pass that joint. Yeah. <laughs> like that. Yes, of course. Light that up. Okay. Right. Let's see. Man, the sandwich is good. You know what? What were we gonna do? Dude, this is enough fire for us today. Let's just go home. Right. <laughs> let's just go home. That's crazy, man. I got a sandwich. See, once again... It's a beautiful day. Why would I... Yeah, I don't weed has saved another life. <laughs> and another farm. <laughs> a year or so after the incident, Donna gave birth to Ken's son, his first, his first child of many. Let's talk about his second wife. Not long after Let's. Ken and Oletta had been back in Missouri, Ken started seeing a 15-year-old girl named Sharon. One night, they were arguing in Ken's truck, and Ken pulled out a shotgun and threatened to blow her head off if she didn't shut up. Yeah, and get used to this though? because I mean, this is one of many times that he puts a gun in someone's face in this story. Many, he did many, not many think times. Twice of putting a gun in someone's that face. That was his go-to move. Hell yeah! He's like, what'd you say? Shotgun oh, in the face. Shotgun in the face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I said no mayo, you, bitch. Shotgun in the face. And and it wasn't always empty threats because there were times where he actually pulled the fucking trigger too. 
Yeah, there was. There was, and no one knew occasions. when he was being serious. Sometimes he would be like, he would just like to fuck with people. Yeah, he would just like to come up and stare at people, stand in their driveway or and their he, house really, or, he really, so he really, really fed he on the fear too. Like if the more scared you were, the more he was going to terrorize Addicted you. To it. The few people that really stood up to him and said, "Let fucking do it," then kind of like remember the pastor later yep. on in the story that's yep. like well come to my house and do it Dan I'm waiting for you hell yeah that's <laughs> a was, fire and brimstone preacher right McElroy's, there boy. McElroy usually stopped calling him for a while after that he's like god damn it <laughs> listen those preachers are not scared of hell because they know for damn sure they ain't going he's there he's like I know where I'm going send me there early I don't uh-huh. care huh. <laughs> got a mansion waiting on me boy right <laughs> So on this occasion, when he put the uh, shotgun in Karen's um, face, whether it was whether or not it was accidental, the gun discharged and left Sharon with a permanent scarring under her chin. So this is one of the occasions where the gun actually did go off. Yeah. And a common theme Ain't where... Ain't that crazy. Someone who grew up around guns, all, knew everything guns, probably knew all the guns he had inside out, yeah, cleaned them all I, the time, I, and he accidentally yeah. discharges a shotgun at his uh, girlfriend's face. Right. Yeah. Find it hard to believe it's not. Yeah, it's bullshit. Although accidents with guns do happen. They're not toys. you got to be careful with them. we talked no, about it. but this was knowing this guy. Yeah. The police were called to the incident and charges were filed. Charges were filed many, many, many times. Another common theme in this. Yeah, what does that mean? That, which uh, came to nothing. i tell you, nothing. Nothing. Dude, this dude got more breaks from the law, partly because he finds himself a damn good lawyer who may or may not have been connected to the mob. And that's another sign of having a lot of money, right? Remember, because he could afford this guy. Not I mean, nobody could. Yeah. Shit, he was this, the lawyer he had was better than the town's lawyers. Yeah. Like, he was like a mob lawyer, dude. Yeah. Hey, those are the best ones. <laughs> the um, in July of 1959, Sharon gave birth to Ken's son Jerome. Ken and Sharon often neglected the baby when Ken's sister Helen came to visit from California. They took Jerome back with them when they left. So Sharon was was that that's the one that's the second. Uh, this is the girl that he shot in the face, right? Or shot in the neck with a shotgun, and then he has a kid with her. That's right. Another common theme. Uh, yeah. She knew he didn't mean to. Well, bless th- his heart. These young girls, they in this story, like he spoils the I, hell it's out of them t- at first too. It's, it's hard to tell whether it's out of fear that they stick around and they end up having kids with them and stuff, or if it's it's hard. Okay, it's hard look, to. It's, there's also there's also another side of Ken of Ken McElroy, just to be fair, and. It's it's security and safety that they have with him. Like, yeah, yeah he's a little bit off the rocker, but nobody is going to fuck with them. Yes. Imagine being a woman at this time in the 80s. You can go wherever you want. You can go to the grocery store. Men ain't even going to look your way. Right. Men ain't going to be catcalling you. Men aren't going to be fucking around messing with you. You have all the security. Like, that is worth a lot to a young girl growing up, especially if she feels She, she just looks at him and goes, see what he did to my face? Imagine what he would do to you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, you know what I'm saying? The security is something... That I don't think gets mentioned when people are like, "How could they do this? How could they do?" This? Well, I mean, if they didn't have, if they didn't have any other family or anybody that's looking out for them, right? So th- this is how this whole thing happened. So he he had the quote unquote accidental discharge of the shotgun mm-hmm. to Sharon's face, um, and it, to escape prosecution, Ken v- convinced Oletta to agree to a divorce, and then Ken married Sharon in 1958. Basically. Um, Getting rid of the uh, the one person. The only way he was going to get convicted for that, the shooting of her in the face, was if she testified against him. And right. in order to avoid that, he just married her. Yeah. It doesn't and then say he much told his about... first wife, like, hey, I got to do this so that I don't get locked up. And right. she's like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> she was good. fine with it. Yeah. But then again, she could have been like, well, good. Now I can share the beatings. Right. 
Sharon, and we talked about this a little bit, but Sharon seemed to be torn between loving Ken and being afraid of him. She tried to get away several times, but always came back to him. Unfortunately, she had neither the strength or the resources to make it on her own. In 1961, she gave birth to their daughter, Tammy Sue. Sharon decided eventually to make a real shot at leaving and showed up at the sheriff's office in the next town over. So here we go. She's really trying to get away from him. And you can see the fear because she knows she can't just like, I'm leaving you. Can right. and just like go to her parents or whatever. She, mm-hmm. she can't do that. She knows he's going to find her, and oh, he's going to yeah, retaliate. Those be the first places he checks, and yep. he knows everybody. Yep. you got to leave town. Yeah, Sharon and her baby were placed in a foster home in another town. They were at the foster home for about six weeks when Ken managed to find out where they were, and she knew the whole time. She she barely got any sleep. She's got her her new baby, and she's at this foster home, and she's telling these foster parents like, "You don't understand. Like he will find us. Like she yeah. hadn't left the house in these six months." For that reason, he, she was so afraid that he was going to see her leaving right. and know where she lives or see her out in town and follow her back to where her foster parents are. Mm-hmm. And he still found her. And one day, she she looks out the window, and he's sitting in his pickup truck down the street damn. staring at the house. Them damn, damn uh, them hound dogs, man. Fuck, it's crazy, man. And he also had resources. He, he, he had a lot of resources. He did, ha- he did have joking. some friends, and the friends that he had were usually the criminals. Oh yeah, you know what I mean, so they're the ones that. Are yeah, the... he now yeah, and a lot of these uh, pig stealing excursions he was going on, these weren't alone. He had help. Yeah, he had people. He had associates that he paid. Yeah, and so he, I mean, he began terrorizing these foster parents mm-hmm. once he found out where she lived, and eventually Ken managed to sweet talk Sharon, offering to bring Jerome back from California. He convinced her to come home, and the foster family heard what he uh, that when he got back to, uh, to the house, Ken severely beat Sharon. So he got her back and then yeah. and beat her for for leaving. Near the same time, another girl, a 13-year-old named Sally that Ken was seeing at the time, was dumped on a lawn in town, bleeding and wearing torn clothes. When both Sally and Sharon were leaving, uh, living at the house, Ken often beat them and had violent sex with them, utilizing household objects. Yeah, that was brutal. That's, I mean, like we said earlier, the serial killer tendencies, like... He wasn't a killer, but he had a lot of those uh, He tendencies. was a killer. He was a killer. He just, it was he, mere, like, just circumstance. I think he wanted that, to kill these people that all these near, well, you'll find out, but there's other near misses. Spoiler alert, story. he doesn't actually kill anyone that we know of, but man, he came close several times. And, that we and, know of. Yeah, I but mean, someone who's willing to put a shotgun in someone's face and pull the trigger has killed somebody already. Yeah, and there's, right? I mean, there's another guy who shoots I mean, in the well, stomach with a shotgun, already, assuming he had, he was going to die. You know, there's yeah. several of these people he assumed they were going to die. He just didn't That's right. finish them off. That's right. Um, and it almost seems like fate. Oh, the intent, they, the intent was there. Yeah. Um, sometimes he would just go back and forth between the two girls. Sally also bore Ken's children, giving birth in 1961, 1963, and 1964. At the same time, Sharon was still having his children as well. Fucking unreal that he's getting away with this. An these are under these are underage girls creating an army. Yeah, and he's marrying them. Yeah. At one time, both girls were in the hospital at the same time, giving birth to more children. After three children, Ken decided he was done with Sally. Her father had passed away, and threatening to harm him was one of the last holds he had on Sally. Sally moved away with the three children and into an apartment in nearby Maryville. Eventually, the children were taken from Sally and placed into foster care. Most people, including the kids, were unaware of who the father was. Eventually, parental rights were terminated, and the kids were adopted out of um, foster care. So, probably the best thing for them to Absolutely. not be in that environment. Absolutely. They don't need any of that nature. To, uh, I mean, that nurture to uh, fuel that nature. What's weird, what's crazy there. is uh, some of the kids later on said he was a great dad, the ones that, you know, they yeah, were around him. that's true. 
largely he loved little boys supposedly like he was he and it seemed like he was like that with the kids in town too like the little boys in town he always kind of took them under their wing any of them that wanted to go steal stuff for him yeah he was always a man of his word to these young boys like mm-hmm. they said you know he told me to go do this and i did it and he paid me and he was always cool to me and yeah yeah, when terrible Lauren, influence, when Lauren says obviously. he likes young boys, I don't think it was like in a Gacy way. No, not in a sexual way. It was he he not like John Gacy. He enjoyed young like, boys' company and yeah. like liked to. It seemed like he liked to try to make them into little versions of himself. He wanted them to be little criminals like him and say yeah, fuck the farmers know, and. You know what? I holy shit. Yeah, you're right. That's what He's it was. Like, right? It's like he can influence the next generation. Yeah, to, to be bad. Yes, and it's it's like he's pushing on this legacy. Mm-hmm. And in a way, I'm sure he did. Yeah. He did. Some of them boys in stuck up town, for him all in, the way in through the, the town end. Of Skidmore, he has absolutely created like a legacy there, like good or bad. Yeah, mostly bad. It sounds, but <laughs> he's got an army of little thieves working for him. Yeah. Let's talk about his third wife. In 1961, when he was 26, Ken met Alice Wood. Alice had run away from her home when she was 13 and moved into her own apartment to escape an an abusive stepfather. She found a nice new guy then, huh? Yeah, great. In 1964, Ken left Sharon and the four kids and moved in with Alice. He was almost never around, but still forced Alice to be a prisoner in her own home. He wanted her to be there when he needed her, satisfy his needs, and make no demands. If she tried to ask questions or do something on her own, she risked being beaten. Often she was black and blue and swollen. She didn't want to go outside due to it. In the later years of their marriage, she often fantasized about shooting him. Alice lived under Ken's reign of terror for four uh, for years and eventually gave birth to a son in September of 1968. Meanwhile, Sharon took the four girls and moved to Florida to live with her mother. Could move. Absolutely. Get the hell out of there. Yeah. Um, it's just crazy because he was like he was everywhere and nowhere at the same time, you know? It's like he just... He Ken was, was? Yeah, he was everywhere. Like he's at all these different... In what way? What do you mean? It seemed like he was able to stalk and like terrorize so many people in the in these different... T- in these like group of towns in this... In this uh, oh, I see what you're saying. Like the... Like it's the a, it anticipation he, that he may show up yes, at any moment like he traumatized the town. Yeah. And so you're saying he's everywhere. I but got physically, you. he's in so many different places that he must not have been around <laughs> one place. Physically, he's long. at home, like, drinking beer and, like, <laughs> but cutting up hogs. But every car, every truck that, that sounds like his that drives by, you think it's him, you know? Yeah. It's, and not, not to mention, he used to roll in a caravan, too, which is pretty damn intimidating. Yeah. Like, you're going to roll through town three pickups deep? Oh, yeah. Like, that's... That's you're trying to make a statement. He liked that. Yep. He absolutely did. He was oh, yeah. the outlaw. Mm-hmm. In the late 60s, Ken met Fred. Fred would become his best friend and partner in crime until the bitter end. Fred was 10 years younger than Ken and often treated him like a son, helping him out of tough financial situations and never asking Ken to pay back the money. In fact, he never mentioned it again. The most exciting times for Fred was when Ken worked himself into a frenzy over someone who had allegedly wronged him. Fred was always up for the revenge. And in February of 1969, a farmer's co-op warehouse was broken into and some very expensive herbicide was taken. The thieves returned several nights later for another load. The police expected Ken, of course, he's like the, the well-known criminal in the area. Right. And they thought he may come back for another uh, return trip. An elderly security guard was hired and, an ar- um, and armed with a shotgun. Five nights after he was hired, someone tried to break in, and although he never got a, a look at him, he managed to fire off a shot blast in their direction. The police were called and combed the area. They managed to follow a Cadillac they suspected was involved but were unable to keep up with the vehicle due to the winter road conditions and lost track of it. So, yeah, early on he had, like, a yellow Cadillac before he got that pickup. That's, That's what pretty badass. For, right? <laughs> it is kind of scary. <laughs> like, you're an intimidating badass. big dude rolling around a Cadillac. It's, like, mob- yeah, it's probably like mobbish. probably had, like, horns on the hood. Yeah, it's very mobbish. Yeah. Police searched uh, for concrete proof that Ken had been involved. 
and they eventually discovered that Ken had been at the hospital in a neighboring town that same night getting shotgun pellets removed from his backside. That's pretty uh, concrete proof uh, to me. Yeah, I'm going to go out on limb and say he did it. <laughs> yeah. Ken was brought in for questioning and de- denied any involvement and took until 1971, but eventually Ken and another man were indicted in charges with five counts of burglary and theft. Warrants were issued for their arrest, but they were never served, and the case never went to trial. That happened all the time. Because a lot of Dude, times... the police were afraid of him. Like, that's the biggest yep. thing. It's like, they didn't want to go serve these warrants. They didn't want to go arrest happen. him. Here's what would happen. Like, the person that originally called the police or whatever would find out that it may be Ken. Yeah. And then they would be like... I don't want to have to stand you know on trial. He's going to fucking kill me. Yeah, exactly. The, the, the longer they think, during the process of him being arrested and actually being charged, somewhere around there, they would just lose their nerve. Yeah. Because he was, he was you know, directing these attacks and stuff outside, too. Yep. He was doing stuff to intimidate witnesses and... Yeah, and, and he would always find out who the witnesses were. There was and actually, he would start showing up at their house, sitting outside, staring at them. Right. You know, just that implication. If you testify against me, you Now, fucked. a lot of blame goes to the police in this case. But to be fair, there was a statement by a police officer of the town that worked in the book. And he said that what would happen is they would file these reports and then they would the police officer would write it up. He's like, and then when I would go to them to have them sign it and finalize it so we could put them into protection or whatever, they would they wouldn't sign it. Yeah. They wouldn't sign it. They were like they were basically saying, I'm no longer in trouble. Right. And if you're saying that, then how can the police officer you know what I yeah, mean, what, justify what using the resources when there's only so many police in the town? It's a town of two hundred people. Yep. You, you know? dude. You uh, usually they had a guy who was hired to be the, the marshal or the sheriff or whatever. There one, the one guy, the, the main one well, in the story. He had never even he had no law enforcement background. He was just right. a dude that guy that people liked, and they thought he was kind of like a, you know, he was a man of of wisdom and, and means. And like if you messed with him, you know, they, they were like that guy. I say we vote him in. Yeah, that he guy was like, like, I don't want to do it. And they're like, Well, you're gonna be the best guy for the job. So here's your gun. <laughs> here's two hundred bucks Actually, a month. Actually, they fun. didn't even give him a gun. Yeah, they gave him two hundred bucks a month, and they yeah. gave him like a holster for a gun and some bullets. And they're like, Go buy your own gun, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> We just need somebody that does what we want them to do, okay? No, but uh, to be fair, Ken knew his limits. He was very familiar with the law. Yeah. You know what I mean? He knew how far he could go with people. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And he would take it just just to the limit. He would sit right outside their property. He wouldn't go on to their property. Because there's things in in society that you wouldn't do, not necessarily because they're illegal, but you wouldn't do it because it's like, well, that's just weird or that's just yeah. that's rude but you could or do the, it if you want but there's to. a lot that there's people who don't give a fuck yep. about that, that about that gray area one of his favorite things to and do would be to sit that, outside man. your house on the on the road in front and ha- and just put up the hood of his truck and act like he was fixing it yeah so if the police did stop he could act just like well i was just you know i had a problem with the truck yeah but really he's just standing against the fucking hood staring at you while you're doing yard work or yep. staring through your you window at you what do you it's it's one of those gray areas yep. it's like you either get into an altercation and you both go to jail, or you just leave them alone. I guess <laughs> it's fucking weird, dude. Yep. Um, in late 1969 and early 1970, Ken went on a violent crime spree that resulted in 19 separate felony charges. Ken managed to delay all of the charges long enough that the witnesses simply disappeared or forgot what they saw. This time, Alice had enough and left Ken with their son to in tow. She went to her parents' house and holed up with a, thir- a 32 caliber pistol determined to protect herself and her son. Unfortunately, she mishandled the gun and managed to shoot herself in the hip. The injury wasn't life-threatening, but it required her to stay in the hospital for a week. Damn. The so Cheddar same- bobbed it. <laughs> <laughs> Cheddar Bob shoots himself in the leg with his own gun. 
the same night she was admitted to the hospital, Ken called her parents' house and threatened to take his son back. Ken showed up at the house and managed to shoot Alice's father, o- Otha, in the leg through the window. Oh, I forgot about that part. Yeah. Dude, he fucking shot him through his own window and in his living room. he did that shit on purpose. He didn't want to kill him. No. Because he knew he would be a suspect. He'd go to prison. Yeah. He knew. He just, he just did enough to hurt him. It took three months, but assault charges were eventually filed against Ken. From the day charges were filed, Ken made Alice's family's life a living hell. He called the house at least once a day, threatening to shoot Oletta or Otha and on his way to work, shoot his, fa- his wife at home, or kill Otha's child on the playground. Ten months after the shooting and seven months after of terrorizing the man he shot, Ken confronted Otha at a local bar. He pulled a knife and threatened to spill Otha's guts unless he agreed not to testify. Otha stood up to put a chair between them and refused. That, that's awesome. Oh, actually. boy, Otha. And it, it's just—it's crazy the brashness, though, to literally be th- threatening the witness of a, a violent crime that you committed. Yeah, threatening his life in a bar with other people around, saying you better not testify. Like with a bunch of other witnesses to this crime now around, but he knows they're not going to do shit about it because nope. then they'll be the next target. They yep. don't want—they just don't want it. They're just looking the other way, like I don't want him showing up in my fucking house later today. That's right. They're sitting there drinking their beer, minding their own damn business. Yeah, like the what's the Kermit the Frog mean that you see? Yeah. <laughs> it's none of my business. None of my business. <laughs> That's exactly what they're doing. Yep. Fuck. You would think this little town, though, you know, it's like, you'd think a little, like, what is this, Midwest town or whatever, he's going to band together, farmers, like, let's fucking fuck this guy. Yeah, It's all of us versus him. Maybe at some point in the story it'll get to that. Maybe at some point. Ken was angry, but he left. He eventually returned with a 12-gauge, locked the doors to the bar, and told everyone they were not allowed to leave. He threatened Otha again, putting the gun in his face and pulling back the hammer. Otha did not back down. He stood his ground and prepared to die. Ken yelled several threats, eventually shooting the floor near Otha's feet and backed out of the bar without causing anyone harm. After the incident, even though every single person in the bar claims they didn't see a thing, Ken was charged with witness tampering. For some unknown reason, the charge was then pulled and refiled as a misdemeanor instead of a felony. This case actually went to trial, but the remaining witness rescinded his testimony, and Alice, Otha's own daughter, testified as a character witness for Ken. Damn. So I actually went on his side. How the turntables have... <laughs> Damn it. Not again. Miraculously, Ken was found guilty and sentenced to six months in prison. Unfortunately, the, Charles, the charges were eventually dismissed yet again. <laughs> and it's just... It's, it's almost comical oh at this point. God. He can it's pretty unreal. much do anything he wants. He's getting so... He's getting way too powerful. Yeah. And, and he all, knows he, it. Yeah, and he's just growing. Yeah. He's just, yeah. He's just, he's, his uh, freaking... His ego and his reputation they're all yeah, just getting bigger and bigger in the town, and it's shadow easier and town. easier to get away with each crime now because it's like they all know he's going to get off mm-hmm. and when he gets off he's going to terrorize whoever tried to put him away even more but what ends up happening is people just try to completely avoid him altogether yeah and oh, then yeah. and then by that it, that irritates him because that's not what he wants, really. Right. That's not truly what he wants. So he pushes the envelope a yeah, little get, bit Yeah, it starts further. getting to the point where he, he keeps showing up to the, the, the local bar, the one bar at, yeah. at Skidmore, where people shoot pool and hang out. And, they're, you know, that's what they like to do when they get done farming for the day. Right. You know, they got nothing else going on at Skidmore. You know, there's, like, the one bar where there's, like, it turns into, like, a little dance hall at night sometimes. Right. And it, this is where all the dudes hang out, and now they can't even do that because when he shows up, they they're like, "All right, time to clear out." You know, it's gonna like you hear the record scratch when Ken walks in. <laughs> right. Let's talk he walks about up spurs jangling to the bar. Right. <laughs> <laughs> this is almost like a modern day Wild West story, isn't it? It is. Like you got is. lawmen that probably shouldn't be lawmen that were kind of just handed the job because yeah. it was convenient. 
And you got, and you got one dude. The town. Yeah, you got one bad guy that can terrorize an entire town. It's like an old Clint Eastwood movie this or something. This is in the 80s. Yeah. It's crazy. So, well, most of it took place in the 70s, and Late it kind of came to a conclusion yeah. in the 80s. Okay, yeah. Let's talk sure. about his fourth and final wife. Ken met his last wife, Trina McLeod, when she was 12 years old and in eighth grade. Fucking puke. Ugh. It's just, like, how old is he at this point? Probably in his 30s, I'm guessing, or older. Damn, is he that old at this point? Yeah, he's got to be. Wow. Before meeting Ken, she was happy. She was a happy average kid who participated in school activities and had a boyfriend. After she began to start skipping school and often got in trouble, Ken began coming to the school and sitting outside and waiting for her. He would wait for her to get out of school, and then she would leave with him and go back to, with his truck. Uh, the school tried to prevent it, but they were even less successful than the police at handing, uh, handling McElroy. To get, in, uh, to get to school in the morning, the kids in Trina's area had to take one bus to Skidmore and transfer to another, which would take them on to school. Ken would wait for Trina in Skidmore and pick her up, then bring her back to the, at the end of the day so she could catch the bus to Skidmore back to her house. When he dropped her off, she was often disheveled and crying. At first on their outing, Ken had taken her shopping and bought her things. Eventually, he just started taking her to a motel and molesting her. Mm. She became pregnant when she was a freshman in high school. At the age of 14, Trina dropped out of school and went to live with McElroy and his third wife, Alice. The control here, you know, it's like he's bringing home this young middle school girl to live with his, his wife, who he's he's impregnated this young girl. Yeah, it's like he's really just trying to build a, an army. He's building like a like yeah. his own like little and he he scared them into submission yeah. and like now they're working for him and like they've yeah they've right. joined like it's his like disciples. Free, it's or like something. free labor for protection, I guess, of some sort. But no one's protecting him from him because everyone's afraid of him. Sixteen days after Trina gave birth, both she and Alice fled to Trina's mother and stepfather's house. Trina convinced Alice to help her, and they took Alice's two kids. Um, Trina's parents agreed to help them, and everything was going well until Trina and Alice left the house. Ken was out looking for them and spotted them. Back at Trina's parents' house, a, st- a standoff ensued. Ken threatened to come in and kill everyone unless the women and kids came back with him. After a tense few minutes, Alice gave Ken their son, and then shortly after, the daughter was well. Then he wanted to talk to Trina. Her parents strongly cautioned her against it, but she went out to talk to Ken, and whatever he had to say worked because eventually she, both she and Alice left with him. Fear, dude. It's fear. It's fear. It's absolutely fear. It's all it is. It's they, all the they have threats. nowhere to go. They have no. If if they go run to their parents for you know protection, yep. he'll come to the fucking parents' house and threaten them. He has no boundaries at all. This dude would get creative as hell with his threats. Oh yeah, no. Some of the stuff he would say over the phone. Yeah. It's, it's like I'll chop, I'll, ch- I'll chop your wife in pieces and leave her on the you know on your yeah, in your yard just or ridiculous. Yeah, it is insane. That evening, once they were back at the farm, Ken beat Alice severely for her for her role in the event. He hit her in the face so hard with the barrel of his gun that her nose, both orbital sockets, and brow bone were broken. She managed to get to the hospital in the next town. She arrived with her face split open and swollen from the beating. Once the swelling had gone down, her face was turned a gruesome black and blue, and the damage left her with headaches for the rest of her life. God. So, you guys had it with this guy yet? <laughs> right. Is this enough? Fuck. It's a t- he's up there, right? With like with the terror and like yeah. the, the nonstop like agony that he puts people through. It's different. It's it's, it's it hard. It's a special kind of scumbag. You know, it's it's really hard to measure his impact, like how negative his impact was on an entire town. Yeah, on multiple enti- towns, really. Like not only physically but mentally and just everything. Yeah, the impact is just it's immeasurable. It's I think sickening. Out of four hundred people, I mean, I think the most of them 
most of them were terrorized by him or at least heard of him yeah. and just stayed clear. Afraid, for sure. Yeah. When Alice was released from the hospital, she went back to the farm. Ken wasn't done with his vengeance, though. When Alice was at the hospital, he raped Trina at gunpoint. Still not satisfied, he then returned to Trina's parents' home when they were away, shot the family dog, and burned down their house. Yeah. I, I, I just had to take a pause after that. It has no bounds. <laughs> it's just unreal, it has no man. bounds. I guess he decided not to eat a sandwich that time. Yeah. <laughs> Burned it down and then ate the sandwich. I don't know. But shot the no, dog. What did the fucking dog no, 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 do? No, no, no. He wasn't out on the sandwich outing. He wasn't there. Remember, he sent he sent two teenagers to go do oh, that for him. Oh, they were supposed to burn it down and they, they had were, sandwiches. Yeah, and they that had makes sandwiches. Sense. Yeah. No, no, no. If he was there, that shit would have got burned down. Yeah. Okay. Shit, if Ken was there, that building would have been gone. But man, he even shot the dog. What the fuck? He's, he's freaking heartless, dude. Dude. Dude, there was rumors that he would kill his own dogs if they were bad, if they were oh, deemed yeah. bad. He would, mm-hmm. he would literally like in bad ways, like rough ways too. Yeah, he used dogs just like he used a lot of these these people. It was like, what can you, you what can you do for me? Exactly. Now I'm done with you. Fuck you. You're dead. Yeah. If the dogs got you know old or you know useless yeah. or he or they sell made, them. or maybe they just didn't catch on fast enough. That's where he a lot of made a lot of his money is he would train these these raccoon hunting dogs and yeah. sell them to people at top dollar. Which is funny is everyone that was involved in that part of his they life. They liked him, right? They loved him. He was a stand up guy. He because never screwed them over. He sold yeah. them at a fair price and whatever. Yeah. And they said all his dogs were the best you could yeah. find. Like. So weird. Yeah, it is weird. And those people saw him a lot because he would do these competitions and stuff. You know what? Maybe what it was is he actually respected those people because they weren't farmers. You know what I mean? They were in a different business. Maybe they were Uh, people of lesser means like him, and he kind of viewed them as his people. Maybe. I don't know. That's just a theory of mine. Yeah. Several days after all of this occurred, Trina went to a doctor for treatment, and she was so upset they gave her tranquilizers uh, and took her to a mental hospital. She remained there for three weeks, mostly because it was somewhere where she was protected until they could find a safer place for her to go. She eventually went to live with a foster family at a nearby Air Force base. At this point, Ken was facing four felony charges for rape, arson, assault, and flourishing a deadly weapon, and he could be arrested at any moment. The rape charge in particular could have him facing the death penalty if convicted. Unfortunately for Trina, three of the four charges hinged entirely on her testimony. If she was not able to stand witness against him, those charges would simply go away. Ken tried desperately to find Trina. He offered $2,000 to a man, any man who could locate her. She was safe on the Air Force Base, but unfortunately the family was housing her. Uh, the family who was house, housing her transferred her and had to, uh, um, she had to leave. Damn. Um, she was then, wasn't he harassing? He was harassing them too, right? Uh, I'm not sure. I mean, he harassed so many people, it's hard why to remember. Would they, why would they want to transfer her for no reason? I don't know. They, what does it say? They, uh, eventually, the family that was housing her transferred. So they transferred, and, and uh, they had to leave. Oh, I see what you're saying. I'm not sure why they transferred. I'm see, I see what you're saying. They didn't yeah. want to leave. They didn't want to take her from the area. Right. Gotcha. She was then moved to another foster home in a town close to Skidmore. Police informed the foster family of the situation and stressed the importance of not letting her out of the house alone. For several mo- months, that was not an issue. Trina was too afraid to go outside. Similar to the other one we talked about. Right. It took several weeks, but McElroy eventually managed to find her and began sitting outside the house in his car. He then progressed to making phone calls to the house, threatening Trina and the other couple who were, uh, took her in. Eventually, the couple's own children as well became threats. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he would use your kids, several animals, mon- yep. farm, whatever. Yeah, anything you loved. Yeah, he would use anything against you. S- several months later, a preliminary hearing was held, and eight additional charges of child molestation were added. If the cases had gone on to trial quickly, McElroy would likely have been convicted of all the molestation charges. Unfortunately, it took 17 months from the initial incident for the four char- first four charges to be brought to trial and another month for the additional eight. 
Trina was also transferred out of her foster home where she had grown to feel like a part of the family and her, um, and had to go to her parent, her grandparents' house. At her grandparents' house, she felt lonely and cut off from her friends and the life she had begun to rebuild, so she called Ken. Yeah, there we go. Like and the rest is earlier, history. She then became she then became kind of like a, uh, part of his his uh, muscle. Remember, he, he yeah, had like he was, she was uh, his right hand lady. Yeah, and part of his uh, convoy when he would drive around town. You know, what? I think she just was like, okay, I tried, I tried everything else. Yeah, no one wants me. No one's left. I guess I'm a part of this. She does this keep getting let down. She keeps getting yeah, let down by like the, the system. I guess this is just who I am. Foster families take her in. It goes great for a while, and mm-hmm. then they can't keep her. You right. know, they can't keep her safe, or they just can't keep her. Mm-hmm. McElroy divorced Sharon, which was his second wife. Um, he was actually technically still married to her, and married Trina to escape charges of statutory rape, to which she was the only witness. So he does this again. Yep. Marries the, the victim. The old marry the victim trick. The old marry the victim to keep her from testifying. Right. Works every time. Yep, that old bag. God damn. Somehow he had convinced her parents to consent to the marriage, which they legally had to do because Trina was still only 15 years old. <laughs> and somehow that happens. Yeah, yeah. This story's pretty unbelievable, man. It really is. It just goes to show, man. It goes to show the power that he had over people. Yeah. It really does. The power they, of They fear. must have signed that out of fear. Signed their, their uh, 15-year-old daughter to be married to the yep. scummiest dude on the planet who's been raping her. Out of fear. And she probably gave him no choice either. She's like, I don't want to stay here. I don't want to be here. So, yeah, you know, I'm just going to run and leave and be with him. So you might as well sign the paper. I mean, yeah. at that point, when you're, I think when your child gives you that ultimatum as a parent, like, and they've completely made up their mind, right. it's hard to, like, not let them learn their lessons. I guess you know she I mean? just because viewed it as it's easier to give him what he wants it's than a to, lose, to lose try and hide from him and be afraid yeah. of what he's going to do. In my opinion, most cases, it's a lose-lose for the parent in that situation because if you try to stop them or you forcefully stop them, they're going to resent you. Yeah. And then if you let them go, they're going to get hurt. Yeah. But at least you're still there. You almost hope that they just come to their senses at some point. Yeah. But, but th- dude, this isn't that really this the, is reality, the same thing, though. The this reality is, is people have to learn their own lessons. Yeah. It's hard as a parent, man. It's so hard. You know, you want to be a helicopter parent or whatever, mm-hmm. but you have to let them learn their own lessons. Yeah. That's, that's the ones that stick with them. What's up, Creepers? Let me tell you about a little company we've been working with called HelloFresh. HelloFresh is a meal kit delivery service that shops, plans, and delivers step-by-step recipes and pre-measured ingredients so you can just cook, eat, and enjoy. HelloFresh makes conquering the kitchen a reality with delicious, simple recipes. HelloFresh does all the meal planning, shopping, and prepping so you can focus on a healthier you and a happier family. Cooking is really just more enjoyable and easy with HelloFresh. Fresh pre-measured ingredients and easy-to-follow six-step picture recipe cards are delivered to your door each week in a special insulated box. Spend less time meal planning and grocery shopping so you can get that time back to do more of what you love. All meals come together in less than 30 minutes, call for less than two pots and pans, and require minimal cleanup. Make family dinners fuss-free with HelloFresh's Picky Eater, kid-tested, and approved family plan recipes. Help make deliciousness part of your every week with three plans to choose from, classic, veggie, and family with the option to switch between for when your tastes change. Enjoy fun menu features with HelloFresh's Dinner to Lunch, 20-Minute Meals, Gourmet, and One-Pot Wonders, among more. Get out of that recipe rut and start cooking outside of your comfort zone by discovering new, delicious recipes. Happy to report that I've actually been able to try out HelloFresh for you guys, and it really is delicious and easy to make these meals. Uh, So far, my favorite meal has been the chicken cheddar fajitas with bell pepper, lime crema, and pickled jalapeno. Delicious. 
For $80 off your first month of HelloFresh, go to HelloFresh.com slash Creeper80 and enter promo code Creeper80. That's HelloFresh.com slash Creeper80 and enter the promo code Creeper80. Eventually, Ken graduated from stealing one or two animals and using his car as a getaway vehicle to stealing one of the two tractor-trailer loads of cattle in one, one evening. Ken also became a fence for stolen goods and was suspected to be, of being involved in the theft of grain, gasoline, alcohol, antiques, and, of course, livestock. In 1976, presumably unprovoking, uh, or unprovoked, Ken fired a shotgun twice at a local farmer um, simply because he had come to investigate gunshots on the edge of his property. What you doing over here shooting? Oh, shit. Oh. <laughs> I guess you're shooting at me now. Oh, hi, you can. <laughs> Unfortunately, he found Ken there, and before he could drive on, uh, he got a shotgun blast to the gut and another that clipped his face for his troubles. McElroy was charged with assault with intent to kill. This one was as close to murder as this he was intent He shot to kill. this dude point blank in the stomach twice. with a shotgun. You shot him twice, right? Yeah. Well, then you once shoot in the in stomach, the... and then once in the f- he clipped his face as well. Yeah. He tried to kill this him. This dude barely got back to his farm. He was bleeding out, essentially. Do you think he's actually trying to kill him, or do you think he's just trying to pepper him? <sighs> just enough, because he knows... He... Shot him in the stomach, dude. Because, like, what we were talking about earlier, though, we were talking about how he knows his limits. He knows how far yeah. he can go and get away with it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Maybe if he's like, I'll just aim, like, 9 o'clock, <laughs> like, way or the hell over I here, almost, and just let it pepper the side. I almost don't think he cares, how does because he, he views it as if, he, even if he killed the dude, he's going to get away with it. He gets away with everything. You know what I mean? I just don't think he cares anymore. I don't know. If but murder... maybe it's better to maim somebody and Here's have them the fear you and stay around. I think he loved the fear. So if he maims them and he doesn't kill them, they can't fear him if they're dead. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's almost like he wants as many people afraid and he wants that power. So it's like killing them doesn't doesn't keep that going. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. He's yeah. keeping them alive on purpose. He's just peppering them a little bit. Yeah. Ken's lawyer managed to delay the case yet again. We talked about his amazing fucking... High-priced lawyer that he managed to keep around mm-hmm. and yeah. got him out of all of this shit. Um, they got it moved to another county as well. Uh, conflict of interest, they said, because nobody, nobody around these towns liked him. Right. <laughs> Wonder why. Yeah. As the case dragged on, without a court date, Henry said McElroy had parked outside his home at least 100 times, being, this being the guy that he's already shot in the stomach and face. Because yeah. this is the one, once again, the this one. This is the tactic. It's, it's tried and true. Why would one he stop witness. doing this? Why would yep. he stop doing this? It's worked so far. Yeah. It's a trial which didn't occur until August of 1977. Two raccoon hunters testified that they were with Ken the day of the shooting away from Henry's property. Henry was forced to admit in court under questioning by Ken's attorney, Richard Jean McFadden, that he had concealed his own petty criminal conviction from... Uh, from more than 30 pr- years previous. Yeah, so they, they, the poor bastard that got shot um, in, in the preliminary hearing, uh, McElroy's attorney had asked him, do you have any, any charges, like criminal charges in your background? And the guy said, no, I'm clean. He had forgotten about a freaking drunken fight he had gotten into like as a teenager. Oh, my and God. And so Ken's, Ken's attorney keeps a mental note of this and goes, all right, wait for trial, bitch. I'm going to bring that up when you're on the stand <laughs> and basically prove that you're a liar. He basically yeah. said, so remember uh, you told me that you had never had any criminal charges. Well, I found some charges yeah. of you fighting, and so why would you lie about that? Ladies he basically and ruined his character on the right. stand. How can we believe this man? Right. <laughs> a man who gets drunk in fist fights as a teenager. <laughs> and then forgets. Right. <laughs> yep. At the end of the trial, after two hours of deliberation by the jury, Ken was acquitted. Shocker. The people of Skidmore were shocked at the verdict. I don't know why at this point. Like, what? nothing surprising. <laughs> he could pretty much get away with murder. 
Pretty much. Um, at this point, Ken seemed totally immune from the law. Ken decided to remodel his old farmhouse to provide a better home for his family. He had the entire house redone and added wiring and plumbing, two things they had not previously had. A third bedroom was added, and the house became a real family home. Ken, oh, how sweet. Yeah. Ken's daughters, I guess if you just like showed up and you didn't know the circumstances, you might seem like it was a good, loving family, right? Yeah. Probably got a nice welcome rug. Yeah. Ken's daughters with Sharon visited frequently, and after one trip, they informed their mother that they wanted to live with Ken. By 1977, the household consisted of Ken, Trina, and their two children. His three daughters with Sharon and Trina gave birth to another baby in 1978 to complete the family. So Trina has another kid with him. Fortunately for everyone else, Ken was done having children. Thank God. Right. That's enough, McElroy's. Right. <laughs> Let's talk about the B&B Grocery. On April 25, 1980, two of Ken's daughters went into B&B Grocery, a locally owned modest grocery store with four aisles that was frequently or frequented by pretty much everyone in town, so it's the only grocery store. Yeah. Um, the older of the two, a teenager, paid for their purchases, but the younger girl, who was only three or four, tried to walk out of the store, whether intentionally or not, with candy in her hand that had not been paid for. Now, the clerk should have probably just let it slip, but the clerk didn't know these. this was McElroy's family. Right. You know what I mean? The clerk alerted No, the... I think she did. Did she? I think she just was like... Hey, that little girl needs yeah. to pay for the candy. Well, because her sister had told her to put it back. Yeah, but knowing the trouble that was coming, they probably would have just let it slide, the candy. Well, she didn't know the trouble that was coming. Who <laughs> would have thought this was coming, dude? I know. You would have done exactly well, what that clerk did in that situation. It's McElroy's kids. I would have never said shit. <laughs> like, take the store. I don't give a fuck. I don't need this trouble. The clerk alerted the, the older girl who grabbed the candy from the younger girl and threw it on a shelf as they walked out. A third daughter, who the clerk recognized as Tammy McElroy, walked into the store shortly after the girls left to accost the clerk for accusing their, her sister of stealing. The clerk then tried to explain that was not what happened, and the girl hadn't even stolen anything, but Tammy would not hear any of it. To her, a great offense had been committed, and not on the part of her sister. The girls eventually left, and Evelyn, the clerk, informed Lewis and Bo, the owners, that they were Ken McElroy's kids. And There's they, a, they uh, might have had some trouble on their hands at this point. So that... Yeah, the, the clerk, Evelyn, really escalated it because she just wasn't having it. She even got yeah. into a big argument with Tammy McElroy. Yeah, she stood her McElroy, ground. I mean. She stood her ground. She stood her ground against McElroy, her, and that's... He did not like that very much. No. If there, There's a movie on YouTube. Uh, you can watch it. Uh, I think it's called In Broad Daylight, too, isn't it? Yeah, I don't know. You, you're the one who checked it out. I yeah, watch I watched a little bit of it. It, it wasn't entirely factual, but the, this scene is pretty good. Pretty It's intense. like right at the beginning of it, yeah. There's okay. like a it starts out with like Ken stealing some hogs and then I think it goes to this scene. Okay. But yeah, it's it, it's a great depiction it's of this scene. Pivotal but moment think, in this whole story is this 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 store scene. But I think in happens. the movie, for some reason, they make the youngest child a boy. Yeah, that's weird, right? This is yeah. unnecessary. Yeah. About twenty minutes later, Ken rolled into the store. Bo went out to talk to him. So Bo was like a, you know, what is he like? Seventy year old man. He's just an old guy. Everybody liked, super nice, quiet mm -hmm. man. Right. You know, this is what he did. He ran the store and he was a farmer. Um, he went out to talk to him, and Ken was quietly standing on one of the aisles, holding a large pocket knife with the blade open. Bo asked Ken to put the knife away, and Trina burst out from behind Ken, spewing profanities. Quote, I want to know which one of you fucking bitches accused my fucking kid of coming in this fucking store and raiding it. <laughs> <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> that sounds like joy for my name is Earl. <laughs> I want to know which, which one, one of you, you fucking, fucking bitches. bitches. <laughs> I'm going to rip your hair out. You know, it's funny. She always just threatened to beat him up. She was, she, yeah. she thought she was real tough, apparently. Yeah. She might have been. I don't know. Yeah. 
Probably but, uh, was. You know, I mean, Ken she, was always threatening with knives and guns. Well, but she could obviously take a beating. So usually people that take true. a lot of beatings can usually give them. Trina liked to threaten beat, beating up people a lot. Mm-hmm. And she was, she'd become a, she was a sweet young girl that Ken had turned into a nightmare. Ken would, like, challenge other women to fight her, too. He would. She he must said, have, he'd actually offer would, money. To, he I would bet, offer people money to fight her. I bet she was a hell of a fighter. I bet she, like, whooped those other girls' ass or something. Like you said, she, I guess, had gotten yeah. tough from all the years of dealing with Ken's bullshit. Yeah. You know, he's really turned this girl into a monster. Yeah. He has, dude. She became, like. I agree. She would terrorize uh, well, people right along with Ken. Granted, what else was she supposed to do? Yeah. If she didn't do it, she'd take the wrath herself. I mean, so not, I guess it was kind of like... Not today, but... What? Like, she turned her life around oh, later yeah, on. Yeah. yeah. Lewis and Evelyn stared at her in shock and yelling, and the yelling continued. Trina continued to rave, and the calm responses from Lewis and Evelyn fell on deaf ears. Eventually, they were able to calmly defuse the situation with Ken and Trina leaving quietly. Bo and Lewis were convinced they wouldn't see the family again, but Evelyn knew better. Four days later, Ken showed up when Bo and Lewis were clean, closing the store. Ken tried to instigate lewis suggesting she she fight with his wife offering her 100 dollars, like we said yeah <laughs> give you 100 bucks if you, you won't fight, fight her yeah you won't fight her 100 She's bucks like, says you, you won't yeah fight you're her. right I, why, why would i do that because <laughs> she'll whoop your ass that's why <laughs> no, do you think had she took the 100 bucks gone out there and got her ass kicked this whole thing would have been over probably probably right? ken would like that yeah he, he would, would like to loved see it yeah because that's getting her back yeah yep that would have been a debt settled in Ken's yeah. eyes. Lois finally had enough, and she and Bo got into the station wagon and pulled away. Not long after they got home, Lois noted that McElroy's vehicles were parked nearby her house, but no one was in them. Eventually, Ken and Trina appeared, walking by the house slowly as if they were daring someone to make a move. Harassing Bo and Lois, constantly driving by their house or parking just beyond their property became Ken's new favorite pastime. Mostly, he drove by their house and parked near their property for long periods of time to unnerve them. But his harassment eventually came, eventually escalated to driving by their house at night and shooting his gun in the air several times. Lewis and Bo, you imagine that you're just you're, you're already afraid at night, you're barely barely getting any sleep, and then you hear gunshots going off outside, knowing you it's don't, him. you can't see it either, man. Yeah. Like out in these you'll see the flash, roads, you'll see the no flash of the gun barrel through yeah. your window at night. Yeah, you can't see shit. That's how it is, like in my house out in the desert, like when trucks ride by, like you can just see the tail lights. You can't yeah. even see what kind it is. It's yeah. so fucking dark. Yeah. Lois and Bo went to the sheriff's office the next day to file a complaint, but Ken was neither arrested or charged in the incident. Two nights later, he returned and progressed from shooting in the air to shooting at the house. After the incident, Lewis bought a 20-gauge and learned how to use it. Finally, you get a gun? What the hell, Lewis? <laughs> Come on, You Lewis. don't know where you live, boy? <laughs> <laughs> on July 8, 1980, Bo's 70th birthday, Ken spent his day drinking at the tavern as usual. Normally, Bo's family spent the day celebrating his birthday on the lawn with a nice outdoor party because of the trouble with Ken. There was no such party this year. That's sad. His 70th birthday. They can't even celebrate it. It's messed up, man. Bo, and they, you know, it's like a nice even number, too. Those are the it big is. ones. Those, those are, are the big ones. ones. Like, big 70, man. Yeah, 30, 40, 50. Those and are the honestly, big ones. like us men, what's our lifespan like? 72, yeah, man, 76? Like, this might be your last big one. <laughs> yeah, you might not get another. You might not get that 80. Yeah, man, and that, with that McElroy big, hunting you down, it's definitely probably going to be your last <laughs> Keep one. Keep taking a shotgun blast <laughs> to the face. You're probably not going to. Right. <laughs> Spoiler. Oh, damn. <laughs> Bo and Lois closed the store at a normal time that day and headed home for dinner. At around 7.30, Bo had to go back to the store to meet an electrician. Ken, of course, followed him there. Ken confronted Bo in the alley behind the store. Bo did his best to ignore Ken, but found, soon found himself face-to-face with Ken's shotgun. So Bo was out on the kind of the patio by the dock mm-hmm. cutting some boxes with a knife. He had, like, a big kitchen knife he was cutting boxes with, which actually comes into play later. Right. 
Um, Bo managed to lunge to the right as Ken fired, but some of the buckshot met his mark on the left side of his neck. Patrons from the tavern across the street heard the shot and knew Ken was involved. Eventually, they investigated and saw Bo lying on the ground, 70-year-old man on his fucking birthday, bleeding out. I don't think this is an accident. I don't think this is a coincidence that he did that he shot him off the side. I don't think it was because Bo jerked. Right. I think he did this shit on purpose again. I yeah. think he did. I so really you, you, if you, you think if he wanted to kill him, he would have killed Absolutely. him? Absolutely. He's point blank with a shotgun. The guy hunts yeah. all the time. Yeah. Several townspeople got there first, tending to Bo and calling for an ambulance. Someone called for Lois and also called the police. Lois and the police beat the ambulance there, and one of the deputies got what information he could from Bo considering that he was barely conscious or able to speak. Bo did manage to get a brief version of events, and the ambulance arrived to whisk him away. Bo was still conscious when they arrived at the hospital. Miraculously, the four pellets that had hit him barely missed major arteries. Bo had to stay in the hospital for 10 days, however, and after he was released, he wasn't able to speak above a, a hoarse whisper for months. The two cops who investigated the crime scene suggested that the sheriff's deputy that if he ever got Ken alone somewhere to quote-unquote blow him away. So yeah, they're now getting to the point where they're like, There's a problem, how can though, we kill this guy Ken and get away with it? never goes anywhere alone. Yeah, yeah. He's always got one of the girls following him in a pickup. Yep. Always. They don't even ride and together. And to catch him off guard is a, is yeah. a tough thing as well. He's, oh, I mean, God, this is yeah. what he does. He's got eyes everywhere. This is what he does. He's always got people, you know. He, he, his whole life is confrontation, and he's always ready. He's always got his Loves gun. It. Um, police managed to track down Ken and arrest him for first-degree assault, which this is a Class A felony. Ken was released on bail with his mother and brother, Timmy, signing for him. So imagine that. You, he shoots this old man in the neck for nothing, nearly killing him after everything else he's done, and he's out on bail in the town again, sitting at the bar. And you're these <laughs> townspeople, day. and you're like, what the fuck? <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> like, he could just shoot me right now. Like, what the What fuck? the hell? This dude... <laughs> <laughs> it's unreal, man. What was the bartender's name in the book? I think it was Pete. Was uh, no, it Pete? Red. Red. Wasn't it Red? That's right. Yeah. yeah. No, Pete was the tough you war gotta... vet. Pete was the war yeah, vet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we'll get to him later. Yeah. Red, though, you got to feel so bad for that guy. Exactly. Every That's time what I was Ken, thinking. every time Ken Kenny of the bar, everyone cleared out, but you know, Red had to stay. Red's like son of a bitch. <laughs> you all left me again. <laughs> like you took all the money away, <laughs> right. and now I got to deal with the asshole of the town. Right. And I hope myself. he doesn't fucking turn on me for right. some reason. He doesn't shoot me and steal all my damn whiskey. Right. Ken was released on bail with his mother and Timmy being able to sign for him. He had to sign a statement promising to, quote, keep the peace, but the statement made no mention of carrying firearms or not returning to Skidmore. So he just shot an old man in the neck in Skidmore. Beautiful. And there's nothing written into this shit that says don't go back to Skidmore and don't have a gun. Nope. So what do you think he does? He goes right back to Skidmore with his guns. (laughs) And he has a gun. Yeah. His preliminary hearing was set for August 18th, five weeks away. Everyone that might be in Ken's line of fire took precautions from carrying loaded shotguns to never going outside alone. The local minister stepped in to try and help Bo and Lois, as many people in town were afraid to. Um, Ken began to harass the minister as well and threatened to kill his son. And this is the minister we were talking about that wasn't yeah. having it. He, every time, he was not having it. Every time Ken would call him, he'd be like, well, fucking come do it then. <laughs> I mean, what, say minus that. the fucking. <laughs> but you know what he was thinking it. <laughs> Come do it, bitch. All <laughs> right. I'm right here. I will use the Lord's name in vain when it refers to you, motherfucker. <laughs> God damn it. God damn it. <laughs> Sorry to those oh, religious man. people out there. <laughs> right. Yep. Being a real dick right yep. now. Real dick. <laughs> <laughs> McElroy got more drunk than usual the night of Skidmore's annual pumpkin show. Pumpkin. 
Punkin? Was it actually punk? The Punkin Show? Uh, probably the Punkin Show, Probably yeah. was a little. Yeah. yeah. It probably was Punkin. Yeah, so you going to the Punkin Show? Yeah, I'm going. And started threatening people in town, including Sheriff's Deputy Dunbar with his shotgun. He's threatening the Sheriff's Deputy with yep. a shotgun now. Dunbar radioed in. He called the police. He called the police. Sheriff's deputy called the police. You know what? Let me call somebody for this job. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, shit. I got elected last week. (laughs) Dunbar radioed to the police after the incident, and they suggested Dunbar not provoke Ken, but just keep an eye on him. That's good police policing. The guy that, that points a gun at the police. Let's yeah. just uh, you know, let's, let's just see what he does. Yeah, uh, I already know what <laughs> so, he does. So let's give him space. Let's see what he does. I know he'll use it. He just shot an old man the other day. Oh god! It was becoming yeah. more and more clear to everyone in Skidmore that not even the police could do or would do anything about Ken McElroy. The preliminary hearing was finally held, and the court date for the trial was set for only three weeks away. Everyone hoped that it was time that justice would finally justice would finally be served. Um, and here comes the trial. In his usual fashion, McElroy managed to get the trial transferred to a county about 80 miles away from Skidmore. The defense also spent far longer than necessary taking depositions from anyone that uh, they, they wanted. These interviews were conducted in a small room and forced those being interviewed to sit across the table from McElroy. Eventually, Ken and his lawyer were successful in getting a continuance, and the trial was pushed back. This is one of the favorite that... things that his lawyer would do, was just keep postponing and postponing. And he knew that like people were less likely to testify and everything. They just kind of want to move on I was gonna at say, a certain point. When it's a year later, they're just like, I don't even care anymore. That little part where you said he, they have to testify sitting in front of, of yeah, McElroy, they, that is crucial. Yeah they, had, That's, yeah, they had to do their depositions in front of him, across what? the table from him. Yeah, so Man. you know he's just staring him down like, I'm going to kill you. Hell yeah. Fuck. You can't do... Wow. Yeah, so it was pushed back to February of 1981, which at that point would be seven months after the shooting. To further delay the trial, McElroy retained a second attorney who also served on the state legislature. A law in Missouri allowed for a continuance in a pending trial if an attorney involved in the case served on the legislature and the legislature was in session. So they're finding even more loopholes to delay shit. This, his lawyer's Loophole. amazing. He's pretty... He's fucking better call Saul over here. Fucking like incredible. Saul Goodman. Right? At the, man... This dude's ridiculous. It's like, is this lawyer a scumbag because he, he's doing so much to help such a scumbag? He's got to know McElroy's like scum of the earth, right? I mean, but can you penalize a guy for doing his job that well? That is his job. <laughs> can you do your job too well? Can you? When you're a defense, what when is... you're a defense lawyer, I think you can do it too well. Yeah. When you know you're protecting, you're basically I aiding argue... in a heart. <laughs> you're aiding a criminal. And then I'll argue that the prosecution needs to step it up. I guess. And, and there needs to be laws that favor the prosecution a little bit more. Yeah. You think? Totally speaking out my ass right now. I, I think know. this guy just needs to be shot in the street. Oh, really? That's what I think. He's <laughs> That's at. some good old West justice right there. Yeah. God damn. <sighs> the trial was continued yet again, rescheduled for June 25th, 1981. The fear in, Skid- in Skidmore grew. Now every citizen felt as though they were affected. As the town held its breath, waiting for McElroy, uh, what, would, what he would do next, the Legion Hall, which had been, uh, which had held monthly dinners and for senior citizens in order to give them a chance to socialize, was forced to cancel them because none of the seniors wanted to leave their homes after dark. By the time of May of 1980, well, yeah, I mean, they're looking at the old the old man running the store down the street that just got shot in the neck, and they're thinking, right. man, he obviously doesn't care how old a person is; he'll he'll still harm us. So you think they? So you think they rationalize like, oh, we don't want to go out? Because they, he might shoot us. I mean, he's not going around shooting random people. He's shooting people that he's in confrontations but who, with. But, but a confrontation can start yeah, anywhere. That's yeah, what you're saying. you're walking down the street and you look at him wrong, kind of like the Aaron Hernandez thing. You know, you yeah. never know what's going to set this guy off. Yeah, that's true. He, he creates grudges out of nowhere. 
Um, by the time of, 19, of May 1981 rolled around, the town was fully on edge. The tavern started to close at 6 p.m. every day, whether or not there was business. Almost no one shopped at the grocery store. Kids were required to be home no later than 4 p.m. every day. At night, people stayed in their homes with their doors locked, and businesses got so bad at the liquor store that it eventually closed. So he actually closed down the liquor store just by being so scary. That's impressive. What's, what's funny is he was an alcoholic, too. So it's like, now I can't even buy booze because yeah. I'm such an asshole. Uh, <laughs> oh, he's got booze. Oh, yeah. He's He'll probably, just steal it. That's what he does. Yeah. He's going to some farmhouse and steal yeah, all their probably, shit. Yeah. or he's Now he, they can't even take the edge oh, off. For sure, he's getting moonshine from like somebody <laughs> as a steal or something. Or he had one right. or something. Yeah. You know. He's got connections. The townspeople began to see the police as no more than a, a sign that uh, McElroy was nearby, not a presence that could protect them. At the end of the trial, both the prosecutor and McElroy thought the trial might just end with McElroy being found guilty. It was looking pretty good. Mm. Like the witness, uh, the old man took, stuck, took the stand and with his hoarse, really quiet voice, stuck to his story. Yeah, and the only did. defense that, that uh, McElroy's uh, attorney had was the knife that the old man had. Right. And it's a, he's basically McElroy's story was that he, he came at him with a knife and McElroy had to grab his gun and defend himself. And that's why he shot the old man. Yeah. He was telling him, uh, basically McElroy said his, his truck broke down in that alley and that he was trying to fix it. And the old man said, get the hell out of here. Cause they'd had problems before. Yeah. And McElroy turned and the old man was coming at him with a knife over his head. And McElroy had to gr- turn his gun or grab his gun and turned and shot in defense. And that was his defense. But the, just all the ballistics didn't match up because the, all the pellets were well inside the door. He shot yeah. him inside the door of the business, the back door right. of the business, which doesn't match up with him being because McElroy was down like below the dock or whatever when he shot. Well, knowing what I know, as soon as you started the story with he was acting like his truck was broke down <laughs> or yeah. his truck broke down, then I'm like, How okay, I don't believe right? this. How convenient. Yeah, it broke down right in front of there. But, yeah, but basically the ballistics and everything didn't match up because all the pellets and everything were well inside the doorway, which doesn't match up with the old man being anywhere near him and right. able to stab him. Right. And, and 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 the fact that the witness for once actually stood, had the balls to stand on the witness stand and mm-hmm. testify face-to-face with McElroy. Yep. That played well. So they were looking at it like, we might actually get the first conviction of McElroy finally. You're like, we got the witness on the stand for once, right. which you can't blame all those. I'm not trying to like look down on all the other crimes where the witnesses didn't take the stand. I, I trust me, we get it. Like, but the only other if he person... gets if he gets off, or like even if say a lot of these other convictions, if he just say did a year, he's gonna come out and, and harass and kill me maybe. Right. So you understand why a lot of these witnesses didn't take the stand. I think this one, what helped too, um, in this case, was it moved a little quicker. I think, mm-hmm. and so he didn't have as much time to put in all that intimidation work yeah. and harassment yeah. for this. Yeah. The jury deliberated. And, oh, by the way, Ken also paid, uh, he got a hold of one of his criminal associates and had that guy try to pay off one of the people on the jury to make it a, a hung jury. He wanted that yeah. guy to say not guilty and make the jury hung and all that stuff. The guy actually didn't do it. The guy didn't take the money. He said, oh, fuck it. He should have just took the money and then not did it. Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> That'd be great. The jury deliberated, and the only thing they seemed to disagree on was the severity of the charge and the sentence. Some wanted to give him two years, and the other wanted to give the full four years, which both don't even seem like enough to me. Hell no. Add them together and then multiply and then, by two or yeah, something at least. Yeah, triple it. Ken was convicted at the trial of assault but freed on bail depending trial. So he actually was convicted of two years. Okay. Finally. However, freed on fucking bail again. Oh, well, there right we back go. in town. Right back Oof. in town. Now knowing he's hey, going listen. to prison because of these people. 
Yeah. And even more pissed off. It's just a speed bump, bro. That's all it is. No big deal. Yep. He was given two years, which was pretty good outcome considering he could have been looking at life in prison. Yeah. So his lawyer did an amazing job of only an getting two lawyer. years. An amazing lawyer. We just can't. We don't have anything bad to say about that lawyer. Yep. Hot damn. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's damn good at being a lawyer. He did a good job for this fucking piece yeah. of shit. Four days after the conviction, on June 30th, 1981, McElroy went to the D&G Tavern, the local bar that he liked to hang out, and he brought an M1 Garand rifle from World War II with him with yeah, a bayonet on it. Just to show it off. Just to show off. Of you know, with a loaded is, clip yeah, and this a bayonet. Is a, this is a guy out on bail, right? Uh, about to do a two-year stint for shooting someone in the face. Oh, and he's he got, got a history of violence? Yeah, but he's also oh. got a, a love for history. Yeah. War oh, history, right? You know, not like, just violence. Yeah, so why not? You know, like, hey, man, it's harmless. I'm gonna bring my M1 Grand in, right, with the bayonet on it, and start showing it around the bar. Mm-hmm. Everyone's looking at him like, "How the fuck are you in the street in the first place?" <laughs> and how and do you're you have walking a gun into the bar with a gun in a public place that serves <laughs> alcohol. What are you doing? Um, while in the bar with the M1 Grand, he made graphic threats about what he wanted to do to Bo Bowen Camp. The old man who he had shot, yep. who testified against him, and he was saying a lot of stuff about what he was going to do with his bayonet, cutting him in mm-hmm. half and all this was, in yeah. the bar. Pete Ward, who you'd briefly mentioned, the old man who don't take shit, yeah. Pete Ward's badass. He is. Pete Ward, who was the tav- uh, in the tavern and witnessed McElroy's rant, became enraged and decided that someone needed to help the Bowen camps. He went home and got a high-powered rifle and posted up by the gas station. My favorite quote, though, from the whole book is <laughs> McElroy sitting at the bar with his M1 Grand with the fucking bayonet on it talking about, I'm going to cut Bowen Camp up and all this. Yeah. And Pete Ward stands up, the hell you will! <laughs> walks out of the bar. That's the best one. <laughs> walks out of the bar, immediately goes home, gets his own high-powered rifle and posts up at the gas station thinking that Ken was going to have to um, walk past him or whatever. Yeah. Or if he came out, he'd be waiting for him. Man, I bet he was fired up, boy. He was ready to blow his ass away. Right, he was. He was ready. He was. He's like, he's going to have the gun in his hand. If I shoot him, I can just say that he was pointing it at me. Yep. Everyone's going to defend me. Um, Ken had to drive that way if he was going to Bo and Pete's. So he basically stood between him and Bo and Camp's house. That's awesome, man. That is. Pete's actions seemed to light a fire under the town. Only a few people saw what he did, but word spread quickly. He showed the town. So, I, so basically, what happened was he stood between him and Bo, uh, between Ken and Bo. Yeah. And when Ken came out of the bar, he looked over, saw Pete, and got in his truck and drove the he other went way. The other way. Yep. And so, yeah, his actions. Him making a stand like really inspired them. Yeah, they were like, you know what? Maybe we can do something. We can we can take a stand against this guy. If yeah. We, it just took one brave man to do it. You yep. know braver than the police had been to this point he showed the town that it was time to take a stand and what they that they were more capable of taking care of themselves than they thought pete called the sheriff and let him know what had happened knowing that mcelroy had more than violated his the terms of his bond it was the last ditch effort to get the law to resolve the situation unfortunately even though the law clearly stated that ken had violated the terms of his bond and and committed yet another crime in the end nothing was done Uh, and that's not a surprise at this point Ken still roamed around free to terrorize everyone, and he had a pretty good idea of who he had signed to complaint to get his uh, bond revoked. So he knew it was it was Pete oh, of course. that had signed that, <laughs> saying that he had a gun in the bar and he was threatening the witness and all this stuff. Something tells me if you asked Pete, he'd be like, Yeah, fucking You're did. damn right I did. What are you going to do about it? Yeah. <laughs> you want to fight about it? <laughs> Ken set out to intimidate them. The fact that it didn't work and he was still free of no consequence to Ken they, they had offended him, and they had to pay. The men who had signed and planned to get a group together to go to the appeal hearing, unfortunately for everyone but Ken, the appeal hearing was granted yet another co- continuance. 
So it's just nice. getting postponed again. And it seems now like everything's coming to a head. Like the town knows, Ken knows, like he's not going to jail. Something's going to happen. Yeah, he's feeling the heat for sure. He's feeling the heat. The town's just had enough. Yeah. On the morning of July 10th, 1981, townspeople met at the Legion Hall in the center of town with Sheriff Estes to discuss how they could protect themselves. During that meeting, McElroy arrived at the D&G Tavern with Trina. As he sat drinking at the bar, word got back to the men at the Legion Hall that he was in town. So he goes to the bar, and he's like the only one there because all the men in, all the men in this town, yeah. 60 of them approximately, are across the street at the Legion Hall talking about him and what to do. Right. What's going to happen, and the sheriff's there, and everyone's there. The mayor was there. But you know what? In hindsight, I bet he thought that, man, everyone really is scared of me. Nobody he wants probably to come to the bar. I got the whole it. bar to myself. He must have loved it. Perfect. There, you tell me the whole town's having a meeting about me. <laughs> Hot ah, damn. damn. Let me sit and have a drink. Yeah. <laughs> Sheriff Estes instructed the assembled group not to get into a direct confrontation with McElroy, but instead seriously considered forming a neighborhood watch program. They sure. asked him several questions about what would happen if McElroy was to confront them with a gun firing finding a way to skirt around the fact that they were asking him how they could shoot McElroy and get away with it. Estes then drove out of town in his police cruiser. The citizens decided to go to the tavern in mass. The bar soon filled completely. So all these dudes roll into the bar where McElroy's sitting there. A lot of them were not bar regulars. Like Red, the bartender, had never even seen a lot of these dudes. These were, you know, farmers that right. drank at home or maybe they didn't drink at all or whatever. Mm -hmm. And a lot of these guys in the bar, this is a very... Uh, Tense situation. A lot of them are just straight out staring I at McElroy. Totally see the scene, dude. The these guys just pouring in here. Pete Ward is just staring Overalls at McElroy. And straw hats and <laughs> they're, they're essentially just like they're there that day to let him know we've had enough, yeah. motherfucker. Pitch We're all here. And torches, baby. We're all here. You can't shoot us all. That's right. You know what I mean? Like half of them, yeah. half of them are minding their business, not really wanting to be the one to can, to stare mm -hmm. at him, wondering if they, he's going to come after them next. And then half right. of them are like straight out staring at him. Yeah, they're like, please, please yep. just attack me. Yep. Um, after McElroy finished his drinks, he purchased a six-pack of beer and left the bar. The crowd at the bar decided they were committed to being a neighborhood watch. They better leave as well and continue to watch McElroy. McElroy and Trina got into his Silverado as the crowd filed out of the tavern. Unbeknownst to McElroy or anyone else who had come to the meeting, three of the men brought rifles. They decided that it was time. It was either time to be killed or kill. Trina watched Del Clement calmly walk to his truck and pull out a 30 out 30 a 30-30 rifle. He chambered around. Put, it, put the rifle to his shoulder and looked down the sights. Trina screamed, they've got guns, but Ken didn't move. According to Trina, she watched Dell pull the trigger twice. So Ken was sitting in his truck, pulled out, he bought a pack of cigarettes as well with the six-pack yeah. in the bar. He's sitting there in his truck. Sitting there in that brand-new Silverado. Trina's sitting next to him, and he's just calmly lights a cigarette and is sitting there watching all these people watch him. And I think he knew. Aces and eights, bro. He knew this is it, man. Yeah, this is the dead man's hand. <laughs> dead man's cigarette. Yep. The rear window of the truck had been blown out, and Ken had two low, large holes in his head. Someone pulled Trina out of the truck to prevent her from being shot as well. The men who were still inside the tavern heard the shots and dove to the floor. When the shooting was over, someone finally poked their head outside and said, by God, it's over, over with now. He won't be bothering us no more. So the fucking town took it into their own hands, shot him. As the book says, in broad daylight. In broad daylight. In his At own truck. At least three people, right? Blew his That's freaking head off. what they suspect. They say there was 30, 30 rounds. What happened was... 22, the, 22 caliber rounds and then shotgun pellets as well, right? Yes. Yeah, one had a 30, 30, one had a, a 22, and one had a shotgun. And what happened was that meeting at the Legion, they had the 60 people. Mm -hmm. Apparently, not all of them went to the bar. Three of them stayed back with this plan, like, and they got into position. One waited... 
um, up by the restaurant outside by the bar. Mm-hmm. Two of them waited across the street um, by the gas station, and yep. they had multiple vantage points and yep. waited for him to get into his truck. And basically, the first shot that went through his uh, went into the back of his neck was through the back window. Shot him in the back of the head. Yeah, went out his cheek. I believe blew some of his teeth out so onto that, the dashboard. So that was Dell, right? Like, yeah, it had to be. That Dale. was Dell Clement. Uh, <laughs> so, I mean, people act like. I mean, allegedly. Allegedly, allegedly. yeah, we're not going to. Con- yeah. No, no, no. This guy's not in prison. Let's let Dell be, right? Yeah, like DB. Let Dell be. Hey, let Dell be. Listen. <laughs> right. He's the right. There's some people that have just you know apparently done was, more good than bad. It was the second shot. The thirty thirty went in his neck and out his cheek. Mm-hmm. Um, and blew out some of his teeth onto the dash. So apparently that wouldn't have been a lethal shot. He would have survived that. The second shot wow. was the twenty two went into his brain. No freaking way. Killed the guy him. killed him with a twenty two. Killed him. Well, the twenty. We know twenty twos are a dangerous weapon. When they yeah, get, when you shoot someone but, in the head with a twenty two, the bullet doesn't have enough power to uh, get out. But so how often do you hear someone getting shot, even at close range, with a twenty two in the head and living? True. All the time. And this guy shot him from a distance. True. Well, that's, twenty two rifle. We impressive. talk a lot about twenty two pistols. Maybe the rifle had some more velocity yeah. to it or something. Yeah. But um, when Ken was shot, the force pushed his head and limbs downward. His foot had been on the accelerator and mashed down to the floorboard. So this dramatic scene, you hear gunshots in the main strip of town. And the fucking uh, pickup truck is full bore. The motor just wide open open with his fat foot on it. This is that brand new Silverado we were talking about. Yep. The truck was in park, so it didn't move. But the engine revved so fast and hard, parts started to fail. And eventually it seized and died. So right after they shot him... One of the people nearby said, should we shut the truck off? And that they said, nah, let shame. the fucker burn. That's a shame. Somebody could have got that truck, man. No, they, they said let truck. it burn because it was McElroy's truck, man. It was That was his prized possession. Yeah, but so titles almost... can be transferred, bro. <laughs> Who cares? <laughs> oh, my God. You yeah, the, the little, teeth on the dashboard little... are a nice little addition, hey, too. <laughs> now, listen, you get your little soap, man, a little alcohol, clean that thing right up, man. Right. Ain't no big deal. That's kind of like a, it would be a cool little staple, too. I got McElroy's yeah, truck, bro. bitch. <laughs> I'd be driving that thing right through the middle of town. Right. The demise of Ken and his truck had been loud and surprisingly violent. Everyone at the scene dispersed, and no one made a move to call an ambulance or the police. Both eventually showed up, as did a crowd of townspeople, to make sure Ken was, in fact, dead. Two boys hanging around the scene noticed two bullet holes in a shed next to the tavern. The shed was behind the truck, and they were likely the bulk, bulk, uh the bullets that passed through Ken McElroy or McElroy. The boys stuck straw in the holes to figure out where they were pointing and investigated. So they did some CI, uh, uh, CSI, CSI stuff shit? with the yeah. little sticks that come out to, pre- to figure out the, uh, the angle. Yeah, they didn't have lasers. Right. So, <laughs> <laughs> they climbed up on the roof of the bank building and found evidence someone was probably kneeling on the tin roof. So mm-hmm. that shot that was fired through the back Could window. Could have been anybody, man. Every man in town was there. Yeah. Ten shots in total. I agree. I didn't see nothing. I didn't see nothing. Ten shots in total had been fired, and the bullets were two different ca- calibers, 30, 30, and 22. Two shots hit McElroy, one of each caliber. The angle of the bullets made it obvious they were f- uh, fired from different locations. The aftermath. In all, there were 46 potential witnesses to the shooting, including Trina McEl- McElroy, who was in the truck with her husband when he, sh- he was shot. No one called for an ambulance. Only Trina claimed to identify a gunman. Every other witness was either unable to name an assailant or claimed to not have seen who fired the fatal shots. I didn't see nothing. <laughs> they see nothing. Yeah. The DA declined to press charge. Can you imagine, like, the, the police come up. Did you see anything? I didn't see nothing. All right, thank you. You know, they're just yeah. kind of like, <laughs> like I've seen enough here. <laughs> wipe their hands. Well, you heard the man. Close case. Seen anything. Case closed. <laughs> 
The DA declined to press charges. An extensive federal investigation did not lead to any charges. McElroy was buried in Memorial Park Cemetery in St. Joseph, Missouri. On July 9th, 1984, Trina McElroy filed a $6 million wrongful death suit against the town of Skidmore County of Nottoway, Sheriff Danny SD, Steve Peters, and Del Clement, who was uh, the one that was accused to be the shooter by Trina. She's mm-hmm. the one that said that that uh, Dale Clement was the one who fired that shot with the 30-30. Right. The case was later settled out of court by all parties for the sum of $17,600, with no one admitting guilt for the stated reason of avoiding costly legal fees should the suit proceed. So six million, she got 17 grand. 17 grand. She pro- Man, they knew she would settle. They knew she would. They probably drug it out for a long yeah. period of time, and they know that she's... She doesn't have a lot of money. She doesn't mm-hmm. have anything going for her now. They're the, like, they're, the, irony, the irony that they drug it out, the legal proceedings in yeah. the end, right? Yeah. <laughs> in their favor for exactly. once. Exactly. Trina remarried and moved to Lebanon, Missouri, where she died of cancer on her 55th birthday on January 24th, 2012. So she made it many years after. Hopefully she found a good man and moved on from McElroy. I, did, I don't hold a whole lot against Trina. I think she was under his spell. Yeah. And, like, she she was a bad person while she was – working with him but mm-hmm. she was under his power like what could she really do you know like she was if she didn't do what McElroy said what was he going to do beat her more you know so yeah i mean he could very well kill her i'm glad that well they didn't her. i'm glad the town decided not to shoot I, her I as well too. i am you know? too i think they made the right decision yeah a lot of the now uh, that being said that that's uh, that's one of them street justices that I stand with 100%. I stand yeah. with the town of Skidmore. That I'm honestly surprised they didn't do it sooner, man. The terror Listen, that he put them through and seeing him get out of criminal charges that's over what I was and over and say. over again and Just take advantage of seeing it. Seeing him take advantage of the criminal system and terrorize the town for that long, and it seemed, he seemed unstoppable. He really yeah. did. And yeah. they thought, well, there's one way we could stop him. Yep, and they did it. <laughs> and they did it. And they did it. And, man, Badass. we had to hold on to that secret this whole case, and we hoped if you <laughs> hadn't heard of this case that you were surprised by the conclusion of it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's a it's a well known case. I'm sure a lot of true crime uh, buffs have heard of this one, so you probably saw it coming if you've heard of it. But if not, you got a nice little treat at the end there. That's right. McElroy getting his head blown off in the street. Yeah, pretty good that's stuff. Some crazy justice, man. Yep. Oh, my favorite part. And um, his truck got ruined in the same day. My favorite part of the the, the aftermath of the shooting is uh, there's a, a guy who you know knew everybody at the tavern and stuff, and he lived outside of town, and he happened to like, yeah, I'm gonna ride into the town today and hit the bar. He rode in on his motorcycle and. Pulled up to the tavern after, right after the shooting. Everybody, yeah. right after everybody cleared off, and and McElroy's sitting there dead in his truck. Pulls up on his motorcycle. He's got his helmet on. He sees McElroy's pickup truck sitting there. Pulls off his helmet. Hey, Ken. Looks over. Oh, <laughs> Ken's got some holes in his head. <laughs> Immediately turns his key to his bike, fires it back up, and rides off. <laughs> hey, Ken, how's it going? Oh, uh, oh, this ain't my bar. My bad. <laughs> let, me, let me go ahead and. <laughs> Oh boy! Oh wow! Yeah, fun case. Thank you again to uh, Tracy S for that suggestion. Yeah, absolutely. That great, was a great book. One. Definitely get uh, in broad daylight the book if you like this case. If you liked our take on it, you can get a lot more information. Uh, that, Harry N. and McLean was the writer of that book, In Broad Daylight: A Murder in Skinmore, Missouri. And that book definitely goes into depth. There's a lot of like little sidetrack chapters and oh, things yeah. like that, but it's I think it's necessary information to yeah. tell you about the time. It really helped us understand like, paint a picture Ken's of life, upbringing, yeah. and yeah, it really did. It helped you understand the dynamic of the small town and, mm-hmm. and things like that. But yeah, that's it, Ken McElroy. <sighs> yeah, 
All right, I guess such, we'll... a, such a satisfying conclusion. So much more than most cases, right? I know. I feel good about this one. <laughs> I do. All right. There we go. Like cookout or this, something today. Leaving this case with a pep in my step. <laughs> you know, you don't you don't always get good murder, but today, you know, it was good murder. Right. It's good murder. Good murder. Good murder today. <laughs> <laughs> I love that the town stood by the shooters too, because you know they knew who did it. Absolutely, and they they Tons never they never sold that person Dude, out because everyone, that'd be just a shame if that person got locked away for shooting this fucking scumbag. Okay, at the absolute very least, everyone in that town meeting knows who did it, right? Everyone knows who. Oh, did they it. know who did. Oh, hundred yeah. percent. They all talk, and then they, they all know, told their way. wives and and children, and it got stories got passed down. And, yeah, they've yeah. now got a statue of the shooters. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Probably him on the roof, <laughs> on the roof of the fucking Their faces bank. are blurred out. <laughs> they're just like digital looking. <laughs> their <Right>. faces, <laughs> or they're just flat. Yeah. Uh, shirt says hero. Yeah. All right. <laughs> All right. We got any advertisers? We oh, got, of course. Oh my we got Gaia. advertisers. Oh we got my god. Oh my Gaia. We need an Oh my Gaia song. We need an Oh my Gaia song. We do. Oh my Gaia. That's pretty lame. Okay. <laughs> I'll take that, and I'll put a little spin on it. Stop smelling like shit. <laughs> Don't get cancer in your pits. <laughs> With the aluminum. <laughs> All right. If you don't know what Oh My Gaia is, Oh My Gaia is an innovative all-natural deodorant, fragrance, and beard oil company specializing in paraben and aluminum-free products. Their innovative line of deodorants inhibit the growth of odor-causing bacteria while maintaining effectiveness. At Oh My Gaia, they use only all-natural paraben and aluminum-free organic ingredients. There's a ton of scents, guys. There's vanilla, cherry almond wood, sandalwood. Uh, True crime pine. Oh, wait, cherry almond, not cherry almond wood. Um, it's just regular wood, it's not almond wood. Um, <laughs> sandalwood, lavender, lemongrass, Egyptian musk. And yes, as Lauren interrupted, we have our own scent, the True Crime Pine. It's the right? shit, and it's got it's, our logo on it. I'm actually wearing True Crime Pine today, man. No, I, wait, I'm wearing, wait, hold on. I got Lumberjack on today. Oh, no, I'm rocking Firesides. I've been using the beard oil again. I'm growing it out. Oh, nice. We made some kind of a bet, didn't we, where you were going to let your hair grow out. I'm going to let right. my beard grow until Thanksgiving. Until Thanksgiving. Jesus Christ. Yeah. We're going to look like I'm a couple be, of... I'm going to be really going to look some, like a couple of pilgrims by the end. I'm going to be going through some beard oil. Oh, I'm going to be using our code word creeper to buy more beard oil. There you go. You should. Oh, yeah. Save 10%. <laughs> yeah, 15. 15? 15? 15 percent off if you use the word creeper, People, you're really, you're losing money if nice you don't segue. do this. Yeah, exactly. Some deals are so good, you lose money if you don't do it. That's true. You know what I mean? And this, you get healthy deodorant, and the deodorant lasts a long time, too. It the does. jars last a long yeah. time. You, you would probably, I would probably go through two... Two and a half sticks, probably, I think. It's not really a stick. It's a jar, bro. No, I'm talking about oh, in comparison to the Oh My Gaia jar. I would go through, like, probably two sticks. I mean, and let's let's be honest. Like, sticks for deodorant are so out of fucking style and just, like, so old school. Yeah. Like, what are you doing? Are you yeah. using a stick on your armpit? Seriously. What are... <laughs> <laughs> how, how, like, how barbaric. Like, use your fingers. Right. Be natural. You're Seriously. an animal. You're yeah. an animal just like all the rest of them. Yeah. All right. Then your anyway, fingers smell good all day, too. Like we said. And your use, fingers won't sweat either. All right. <laughs> no, use Creeper for 15% off. C-R-E-E-P-E-R. And you can do that at ohmygaia.com. O-H-M-Y-G-A-I-A.com. Or at shop underscore ohmygaia on Instagram. Yeah. <sighs> Beautiful. All right. Oh, Why don't you buy it? Everything is paraben and aluminum free. So organic. 
end of advertisement. <laughs> <laughs> and some yeah, shout outs for the people who have uh, rated and reviewed our show. Uh, oh, yeah, let's hear those. But first, let's talk about while well, we look those up. Is what? there any bad ones? Of course. Oh, cool. I let's mean, shout you, them out, too. That's life. That's the balance of life. I like getting bad ones. I wouldn't ones. want to be a podcast that got no bad reviews. I feel like you're not pushing no, the envelope enough. I'm really you. glad. I'm really glad. Because there's that people that don't reviews. like cussing. Like, oh, uh, yeah, fuck that, man. Fuck it. We got a. No, we, that's a lot of our bad you. reviews. What's with the potty language? Yeah, what's with the bad language and stuff? What's with the foul language? And then uh, immediately after, I love when they say fuck. <laughs> it's like the next one. <laughs> yeah. We, I don't think we do. It's, it's too much. Real. It's not every sentence, you know? Listen, if we're nothing else, we're genuine on this podcast, right? We have these same conversations when we're not doing the podcast. We try to be. It's just Lauren doesn't have to read as much when we just talk about shit. Right. That's all it is. When was our last free episode, do you know? Uh, it would be two weeks ago. Um, okay, I was looking for a date, but oh, a date. Okay, just pause it. How's next Saturday, bro? We can go see a movie. <laughs> All right, what what is today? It, the twenty second would be two weeks ago. Okay, so anything after that? Yeah. How's it looking? Totally leaving all this. The in. first one after that is a one star. Not this is good. this is what Not it would good. be like to be a live show. This is what would happen. <clears throat> okay. Yeah. Yeah, we're definitely going on tour. You said the twenty second. Yeah, after the twenty second. Oh, you got it. We got okay. Okay. The F, F Uber Eats. <laughs> yeah, F Uber Casey. Eats. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. All right, I'm ready. Okay, go ahead. Oh, we're still live. Yeah, what we're the totally fuck are you live. doing? I was pretending like it, this was a live show. That's what I was saying. I was like, this is what it would be like to have a live show. Oh. Okay, so thank you to <laughs> F Uber Eats from KC, Angel Stars forty two. Yeah, uh, this app is a joke. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> it's actually their name on here. <laughs> Lucky Starrad. Nice. Uh, Miss G G G G or mm-hmm. Miss M G G G G. Right, right. I've heard of her. Uh, Lovely Sparrow. Very nice. And thank you. Thank you to our haters, T K D Gal. Oh, thanks, T T for the K- one star. Gal, love you. Yeah. And Hey C twenty nineteen. Fuck off with your one star. Nice. <laughs> no, we love both of those one stars equally. Okay. Hey man, if you yeah, I just, yeah, if you don't like it, just don't listen. You don't have to go one star, whatever. Uh, it's all good, man. Yeah, like you said, it's there's there's haters, and if you don't have any, then you're not reaching enough people. That's true. That's why I like the I like the bad reviews. Let them roll in. The creeper army has yeah. been established. Right, it's in place. If you want to join it, you can. Yeah, man, we're we're like Skidmore, man. Keep fucking with us with your one stars. Right. Yeah. <laughs> we'll go stand out your house. Yeah, we'll be on the roof of that van. bank real quick. <laughs> we'll just be sitting on top of the creep van with shotguns. No, this is, I, we're not threatening people no, who no. one star. It's like, this actually <laughs> no, could no, go no. down a bad road. We really don't care. Hey, you know, they teach their own. Once, yeah, you know what? Let's just go ahead and wrap this up. Yeah. <laughs> hey, patreon.com slash true crime guys. Yes. Two bucks a month. Two bucks a month. We'll get you like 20 something episodes and then a bunch of bonus content on there. Yep. A lot of the big time cases. If you're one of those people that want to hear, you can't get enough uh, right. hearing about John Wayne Gacy or Jeffrey Dahmer, or Ted mm-hmm. Bundy, or yeah, and we didn't Green the River Killer, Jim Jones, Ruby Jim Jones. Ridge, stuff like that. Oh, Jim Jones was my absolute favorite episode mm-hmm. ever. It was over three hours long. Our most recent one on Hell's Angels. That was an interesting case. We just did the Hell's Angels last week yeah. on Patreon. That was fun. Yes, that's true. We do a giveaway. Do we have to do the giveaway right now? We do need to do the giveaway. We do need to do the giveaway for April. For April, let's do it. Let's do it. All right, drum roll, please. With the magic of time travel, we just figured it all out. We got the number generator up. We did. We got the list of Patreon, 636 current active paid-up members. Yes. We're in the 800s or something, if you consider the people who's, you know, with accounts that aren't active, paid-up. But we do not. <laughs> yeah, so the people who are currently, they have good status to their right. account. 
on the are, day that we do this. Who so are paid up on this day. How it works. They are in the drawing. Any All active Patreon members are in this drawing. One in 636. I'm hitting the number generator here. Hit it. 292. 292. 292. Scrolling. Who is the lucky Scrolling. 292? Scrolling. Ivan. Ivan. Ivan, no last name. Congratulations, Ivan, patron member. You are getting yes. something of your choice from our stores. Let us know. Hit us up. And yes. also, you can hit us, send us a message on Patreon. We or need his address too, right? Yes, we will need your address and what you want from the store. You can, speaking of the stores, you can go to redbubble.com slash true crime guys or kincustom.com and then item, search true crime guys. Any item you want, hit us up. We'll send it to you. Congratulations. Right. And yeah, so being a patron gets you into this drawing as well, but it also gets you all the free content. Right. But don't talk about it on Patreon. The the drawing? Yeah. That doesn't work. No, that's why we exist. do it on free episodes. Yeah. All right. All right. Anything else? We're against the policies, guys. Yeah. We're outlaws, wow. rebels. Allegedly. Not supposed to do drawings on Patreon. <laughs> but we still do it. All right, guys. Keep creeping. All right, y'all. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Keep creeping. See you next time. Peace out, guys. In the desert, we like a mirage. It's okay if you clicked on us because you thought we was true crime garage. Now we ain't mad at you. Sit down, let us talk at you. I'm talking to the creeper army. We out here making murder, get murder, get murder. Crime, crime, crime. In the desert, we like a mirage. It's okay if you clicked on us, cause you thought we was true crime garage. Now we ain't mad at you. Sit down, let us talk at you. I'm talking to the creeper army. We out here making murder charming.